Welcome to episode 124 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the big moves and attitudes edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's going on, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, Phil. We had a lot of things happening this past week, this past weekend here in the world of motorsports and both NASCAR and IndyCar. A lot of movement and a lot of things that happened. But, you know, we've got uh, two special guests here, one recurring and very special guest here. So I'll let you introduce them here. Yes, we have our usual recurring guest, our our great contributor to the GSP, uh, fellow Jersey guy, uh, writer for Fansided, and his name is Joe Passero. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm looking forward. I'm going to Pocono this week, so I'm excited and a lot of talk about. I don't know what uh, who decided Tuesday would be a great day to blow up motorsports, but it's actually been a lot of fun getting to watch and think about everything that's happening. So I'm excited to get to talk about that with you guys, and we're going to have a good time tonight. Yeah, and uh, the special guest, the special, special guest is somebody that uh, I've already apologize for my fanboying out um, a few minutes ago. Uh, somebody I've looked up to, somebody I've watched from the moment I started watching racing. So I'm making myself older. I don't, the difference is he doesn't look older, which is part of what makes it funny. We talked about it. Josh and I talked about it with Derek Pernasiglio when we had him on uh, the show uh, and he got a laugh out of it um, and agreed uh, in regards to your hair. Uh, but a man that has covered all kinds of motorsports, two and four wheels, covered every type of racing series you can imagine, covered, was the lead announcer during one of my favorite races in my uh, fandom uh, for for Josh and Joe, it was the 2009 Coke Zero 400. Again, uh, you can think of why it was one of my favorites. Um, he's friends with the guy that won that race. Um, that's the race where Kyle Petty said that's incredible about 18,000 times. And that became one of his call call catchphrases or whatever. Um, a dude that has, that's one of the only people that can say he had a promo done on him while sitting next to the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, um, a guy who has interviewed all the legends of motorsports and is owns uh, an entity that was developed by uh, the Dean of American motorsports writing. Um, his name is Ralph Shaheen. Thank you so much for coming on to the Grip Strip podcast. And um, I'm glad I was able to find something that you're going to be able to use on one of my heroes. And I mean, you are one of my heroes too, but one of my motorsports heroes. Um, and I want the video of that on your Instagram when you do in embarrass Tony uh, about that. Well, thank you, Phil. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to it. So I guess... Uh, we can start with this right now you're covering american flat track which the ama series it seems like there's a lot of positive growth going on right now not only with your buddy wayne rainey the great legendary three-time grand prix motorcycle champion wayne rainey with moto america with their connection um with the super bikes and all that but with the flat track class both with the twins and the singles there seems to be very healthy fields good racing in both classes and a lot of fans a lot of a fan engagement too and uh tv coverage seems to be uh going well because you're involved in it and i don't think you'd be involved in it if it wasn't good so um tell yeah, us a little bit about what you're doing these days 
it's going really well over there at the Progressive American Flat Track Championship. Uh, you know, it's it's been around for decades. It's gone through a lot of variations. Uh, the current series known as American Flat Track crisscrosses the country, California to Pennsylvania this past weekend, uh, Florida to New York. We go all over the place. There's a variety of racetracks. They run half miles. The miles are what they're most known for. We run short tracks like we just did up at Laconia, up at Loudon a few weeks back. And of course, TTs, where it has a little bit of a jump involved. We'll have two of those this year. Legendary Peoria TT coming up in two weeks will be our first one. We go up to Castle Rock out in Washington State. Uh, later in August. it All the series airs on FS1, so we have really good TV with folks at Fox. And the numbers have been very strong. You're right. Big crowds in the grandstands and good TV numbers. It's the makings of a solid series. And it's, it's with you. I know that it's funny. There's so many connections going on with this episode with how with this all intertwines. I connect Pocono because many years ago, nine years ago, you gave me five minutes of your time while you were working for um, TNT as part of their NASCAR coverage when they had that summer series. Yeah. And you had covered the summer series, of course. As I mentioned, you were the lead announcer of that Daytona race, but you'd been doing the pit road work as well uh, with another one of Tony's uh, good buddies, Matt Yoakum and others, you know, Lindsay Zarniak. There's so many connections. It's crazy. Um, I guess it's just the way life works. But um, I think in that five minute conversation, we talked about NASCAR, open wheel, MotoGP, and you, we ended talking about Valentino Rossi. And so it shows how much, how your depth and breadth of motorsports covers everything. And um, I know motorcycles have always been a big part. I mean, you and Scott Russell would call races. You've been covering the dirt. It doesn't matter as long as Supercross with you and Jeff Amig and then Ricky. I mean, I guess I I, I guess the motorcycles are always calling your name. And then whether whether it's those guys or some of the other guys that used to ride them, it always seems to come back to that. Right. You know, I just love racing. I love it all. I find every form of motorsport interesting because racers are the same. Racers are all racers. When you spend time talking to Valet and then you spend time talking to Tony Stewart, they're exactly the same mindset. And that's really interesting. And I love watching a good race, right? I don't care what you're running. You could be racing bar stools and I'm interested. If guys are going after it and it's too wide coming to the checkers, I'm interested. So I, the technical side of motorsports is intriguing, but... I'm not the guy you want building your race car for you. I'll be honest, but I I do find it interesting, but it's the human interest side of the sport that I'm really intrigued by that. I really like what makes these guys tick, what drives them to risk everything to get the win, all of that sort of stuff. So I've been very fortunate that motorcycle racing has always been a part of my career. It was actually the first thing I ever announced when I was in college at Chico State out in California. And I got the opportunity to announce what was known as AFM, the American Federation of Motorcyclists, which is um, an amateur motorcycle road racing series that was competing at what is now known as Sonoma Raceway. I was just a college student and got paid absolutely nothing to go announce their races, but it was a great experience. And that's what you need. You need that those laps on the microphone, if you will. So motorcycle racing has always been there, always been a part of my career. 
the racing is always great, whether it's road racing, flat track, moto. It's always good competition. It's Supercross was fantastic. We dropped the gate every Saturday night, and you had no idea what was going to happen. No clue. And I love that. It was always great, exciting, got you up out of your seat. And that's the kind of racing I love to announce. People always will say to me, man, we love your enthusiasm for that. Well, it was very natural. You can't fake that. I mean, you can try, but what you hear out of me is really the enthusiasm I have at the moment. You talked about 09 at Daytona with Smoke and Kyle Busch coming to the checkers. and What a crazy finish that was. All that energy you heard out of me was for real. I mean, how could you not be excited at that? It was tremendous, you know? So that's what I love about racing. It, look, this is some of the most exciting stuff happening in the world of sports each and every week. Somewhere there's a great finish. I just hope I'm the one who's calling that particular race. And I've had and, some doozies over the years. I mean, MotoGP, I was just thinking about that. You brought that up with Valet. I had Valet and Mark Marquez coming down through the corkscrew and Valet going off the side of the corkscrew to pass Marquez for the win. Tremendous show. I mean, there's been some great ones. Didn't he also do that against uh, Casey Stoner? Well, Stoner did it to him. Oh, okay. And he yeah. learned, and he yeah. used it on Mark. Well, I think they all learned it from Alex Zanardi. So right. once he did that to Brian Herta, which also connects to this weekend, too, right. since his son was qualified on pole and finished second. It's just a little sketchier trying to do it in the dirt on two wheels than four, you know? Just a bit. And because they've changed the curbing, I think, a little bit at the corkscrew. Yeah, well, um, how it is, you give racers an inch, they'll take a mile. Absolutely. We had that um, this weekend at Port Royal with flat track. The guys were coming so far up off, off the floor, up to the wall. They were just about scraping the edge of the handlebars there. The track officials, you know, they lined the, the walls with hay bales and air fencing for flat track. They don't have safer barriers. They actually had to turn the hay bales sideways to give them a little bit more room so they get a little closer to the wall. They were getting so far up. So they were running the cushion up that high. That's crazy. oh, they had it right there. Well, that's that's a whole different level. I I I can't wait to watch it on FS1. Um, yep, this but, weekend. Uh, I will throw it to my panel. Um, like Josh, you open it up first, and then Joe, and then uh, I'll come back to you. Yeah, I mean, so Ralph, uh, back in 2012, I'm connecting it back to Pocono at the Pocono 400. You interviewed Dale Earnhardt Jr. post-race, and he had a bit of an awkward interview there. And I don't know if you remember, he um, kind of started to give you an answer and then kind of paused for a minute, and then he asked, uh, can you start over? And then it was all caught live on on tape um, post-race. I don't know, if, don't know if you remember that one, but just wanted to know if – or you know, know if you had uh, anything to recall from that particular day. Because, um, I mean, for me as a, a junior fan, that's like one of the more unique moments, uh, I guess, that I've seen in his career. And it's kind of like a, a niche thing that happened, uh, you know, back then. Yeah, you know, uh, I'd like to think Dale and I have a good relationship. I had a great relationship with his dad, which I cherish, and a lot of special moments with him. But I do remember that. And I, I think the fact that the Dale stopped and said, hey, can you ask me that question again, tells me and told me then that he felt comfortable enough with me that he knew I wouldn't hang him out and make him look silly. And I get it. You know, look, these guys are racing, especially at Pocono, 200 miles an hour. You know, you're hot, you're tired, your, your brain has been worn out mentally trying to focus on what you're doing. I'm not surprised that a guy every now and then gets lost in an interview or forgets what he was trying to say. And what that tells me about Junior is that, 
he wanted to give a good answer. So he wanted to make sure he told me and his fans what he was really thinking. And he wanted to make sure he answered the question. So I appreciate him at that point saying, hey, I don't want to not give you a good answer. Just could you ask me that again so I can get my thoughts together after I've been out here doing what we've been doing all day for a Pocono five hours or whatever it was. Yeah, it was a, definitely an interesting interview. And I remember um, the post, I guess, yeah, after that incident, you had that video with Mike Davis on JRM360. And I, I watched that video the other day when Phil told me that you were going to be on. So I had to remember all the details and everything from that. But it was one of the more interesting uh, pieces of interviews that I've ever seen. But you know, also, you had that um, interview with uh, Lewis Hamilton with Tony Stewart back in 2011 when you know they had the F1 one test. One of my favorite and- things when they did the swap. I wanted yeah, to true. go to that, the but I thought swap. it was going to be snowing or raining, and it basically did. So I ended yeah. up sitting sitting there. It was bad, but I watched it, and um, I was wishing I was there. Two of my favorite racing drivers, and you know Bob Varsha and Steve Matchett and Larry McReynolds in the booth, and Ralph, you were down there with them. Uh, yeah, I actually was... did both of those. I did the first one at Indianapolis, which was with, one problem. Yeah, and Jeff Gordon. And which was a lot of fun. We had the same crew that you just talked about, Larry and Bob and Steve and then me down there with the guys. And then we went to Watkins Glen, I guess it was the very next year. And we 2012, uh, 2012. Yeah, 2012. 2011. Yeah. Or yeah, left before Tony won the, no, I thought Tony had won the championship. And no, this and, was in the middle of his championship run before. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you had Lewis and Tony there, but you think, you you know, with you being friends with Tony, you think you can convince Tony to give Lewis a call to invite him next year for the SRX series if they have it? You know, I, I that would be really exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to something like Kimi Raikkonen is going to be getting in the cup car here soon, right? I think it would be great. And, and I'll tell you the thing I, I got out of Lewis that day was that He's very open to that kind of stuff if it fits into his schedule. Now, I'm not so sure Toto Wolf is going to let him go do that. But um, I think there could be a time down the road where Lewis might want to do that. Uh, I really liked Lewis. I got to know him a little bit that day, and I thought he was a really good guy. He was very open, very friendly, very willing to talk. Uh, I mean, of course, I was the only media guy really there bothering him that day. Uh, so he wasn't afraid to chat, but he was very open and very willing to uh, get into it and have a good time with it. And he was really excited about driving that cup car that day. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a great, great experience to be able to, to have that. So, um, Joe, I'll throw to you if you, you, know, you have any questions for Ralph here. Yeah, sure. So uh, I was having technical issues before. So hi, Ralph. Uh, it's great hey, to have so much. Um, so as a fresh college graduate, you, you had just spoken a little bit about what you were doing in college. What is advice that you would give? Uh, and this is a question that I ask to everybody I meet in media, in racing. I've asked Matt Dillner this. I have asked Caitlin Vinci this. Uh, one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who maybe is in college, just getting out of college and looking to make their way it doesn't necessarily have to be in motorsports media, but in media in general, what can they do? Yeah, get- I, I would tell you the same thing I tell everybody who comes up and asks, and I get asked that a lot. It's usually the question you get, and I understand why, and I've asked the exact same question. Um, experience, 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 whatever you got to do to get it, however you get it. 
uh, and volunteering to do those races is a perfect example. I had to get up at four and three, four in the morning and drive from Chico four hours to Sonoma every week when we had those races to announce all day from eight in the morning till seven o'clock at night for nothing but a box lunch and then four hours back to go to school the next day. And I did that for a long time. Eventually I got paid $25 to do that. And I thought I was really killing it. I can't tell you how many things I did for free or for basically no money to get that experience. Uh, That experience means everything. If you can get paid, fantastic. But I'll I'll tell you, eventually I got to a point where I was doing Speedway motorcycles on Friday night in Auburn, California. I grew up and lived in Sacramento after college. I went back to SAC. Friday night was Speedway motorcycles in Auburn, California, Gold Country Fairgrounds. Saturday night was NASCAR weekly racing series at All-American Raceway, which now Bill McAnally owns. Back then, Bill was just a street stock driver. Sunday was whatever was going on in the area. It might have been something at Sonoma or Laguna Seca or the Hangtown Motocross, whatever I get my hands on. Then Monday nights, I was announcing ladies' fashion shows at a restaurant bar. And you might say, well, why were you doing that? Well, because it was experience on a microphone, and I had no idea what I was doing because I didn't know anything about ladies' fashion. But it was a paid gig. It was experience on a microphone. And what it taught me, most importantly, was how to get through situations when I had nothing to talk about. Now, if you think about it, that's really important. You said you're going to Pocono this weekend. Well, what if you were announcing the race there and somebody knocks the wall down in turn one or the catch fence comes apart and they're going to be down for an hour or two? Well, you hope the producer has a bunch of feature pieces lined up, but eventually he runs out of all that stuff. Now, what are you going to do? You're running the show. You're hosting the show. You got to keep that thing interesting and you got to fill time for who knows how long. I can't tell you how many times I've had to deal with that. So that's what I learned by hosting those fashion shows. How do you keep that show moving in front of a live audience? And yeah, I had to sell the dresses and make that happen, but I still had to keep the event going and make it interesting. That was experience that has paid off. I can't tell you how many times over the years, but all of that experience eventually helped me get my first TV gig on ESPN, which leads to another one and to another one and to another one. And eventually where I'm sitting here today telling you, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I've been on national TV now for 34 years, which is unbelievable to say out loud. Because when I was starting, I would have been thrilled if I'd have done it one time, let alone one year. And here I've done it now, thank God, 34 years. And I hope there's another 34. So go get experience. And go get experience. If you want to do racing, go do a volleyball match. Go do a soccer match because you're not going to know how to do that. And you're going to have to figure out how to make that interesting. And you're going to learn from that. And so another question. So in regards uh, to racing in general and your experience, you have, I think we've covered it pretty well already. You've got a lot of diversity in the different forms of racing that you cover, that you follow. Is there any particular form of racing you have not yet covered, whether it be on TV and writing, that you want to cover, something you would try that's brand new? I've done every form of racing out there. So there's not a form of racing I've missed that I'd like to do. Um, I've done everything from swamp buggies to Formula One in Monaco. So I literally have done every form that there is. The one event I have not done that I would like to do is the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I've done all the other super huge events like Daytona 500, Indy 500, U.S. Nationals at Indianapolis, uh, Supercross in Anaheim, Knoxville Nationals. I've done all the big ones, Sebring, Daytona 24, done all that. I've not been to Lamar. I'd like to go see Lamar and be a part of that. I think that'd be pretty special. 
I, You've thanks. done sport cars, though, right? You've oh, done yeah, sports no, car I've racing. Done IMSA and America Lamont series and SCCA Trans Am races all over the place. And yeah, I've done all kinds of sports car races. Like I said, I've done basically the entire IMSA calendar. Daytona, Sebring, Monterey, Sonoma, you know, you name Watkins Glen, Salem, six hours. I've done all the big ones over here. I just haven't been overseas to do Le Mans. I'd like, I'd like to go to Le Mans looks like a special place. It's got that same vibe as an in Indianapolis and a Daytona. And I'd like to take that in, in person. And then after that, there's, you know, there's some F1 venues I'd like to get to some MotoGP places. Look, there's still dirt tracks over here. I'd like to go to, that I haven't been to yet. Like? uh let's see i'd like to go to um well i i just had a great time at port royal but it was there for the bikes i'd love to go back to port royal and see sprint cars run there i'd love to go to oswego for super dirt week i would like to see that um i'd like to do some of the other pennsylvania central pennsylvania tracks i haven't been to like Sealands Grove and uh, where else haven't I been to? Sealands Grove, uh, been to Lincoln. You've done Williams Grove though. I've been to the, I've been to Williams Grove. I haven't been to Sealands Grove. What am I missing? Port Royal, I've been to. So essentially, the Pennsylvania month of whatever the the Maybe Pennsylvania speed. month of speed, uh, Pennsylvania yeah. Speed Week. Um, that that was yeah, and that's great racing, and that actually I haven't and been then, to Houston. I'd like to go to Houston. I haven't been there. Houston, yeah. You've been I to I-55 because your buddies would be yeah, trading. Oh, you have? Okay, there you go. So I, I, I thought you had been, yeah. I'd like to get to Peavely. Haven't been so to now Schrader's holding out on you too now. So now we figured out we figured out your buddy Smoke is holding out on you and your buddy Schrader's holding out on you. Well, but I'm Schrader's sure. memory isn't so good anymore, but he's still got it behind the wheel. No, so you Schrader, can't... Schrader's pretty good. In fact, Schrader, when he just moved up back home to St. Louis not too long ago, he had me come over to his race shop and he gave me every issue of national speed sport news that he had saved. He gave me boxes of them. So Schrader's good. He'd, he'd invite me to Peebly. It's just making it fit on the calendar. Cause you're that busy. And so is he, because that yeah. tells you how busy he still is. I, it, that was one of the best things about last weekend's race uh, uh, in the SRX with them racing. There was seeing Kenny on national TV again, like he used to be for so many years. And, being yeah, as competitive as he was. Right? Yeah, and he did. He put on a show. It was out there in 100 freaking degree weather, and he was one of the guys I was able to hold up. Well, it kind of makes sense when you were driving stock cars in the 1980s with no AC, and you're Kenny Schrader, but then Kenny Schrader's got them stories too, right? I'm sure you have a Kenny Schrader story or two. Oh, Schrader's one of the greats. I think, I think the Schrader story I love is I wasn't a part of the broadcast, but I just remember watching it. He was at Martinsville and it was a cup race on ESPN and he was running the Budweiser car for Mr. H and all the fire extinguishers went off in the car and the car filled up with Halon and he had to pull into the infield and whoever the pit reporter was ran up to the car and he crawls out with all the smoke coming out of the car and the guy says, you know, Kenny, how was it in there with all that fire extinguisher stuff going off? And he goes, man, it was like, Drinking a six pack of Budweiser all at once. It's just crazy. I got kind of lightheaded. I was thinking, that's fantastic. You know, it's funny. He got the sponsor plug in there. It's creative. That's Schrader. It would have been tougher if he was still with Kodiak, though. Um, if yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't have came up with one or AC Delco. He wouldn't have been able to come up with something unless, yeah, they wouldn't have been able to come up with anything. But it shows how great Kenny Schrader is, though. Um, 
I, I mean, in regards to what you're doing now and all the different people you've met, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. I, I always remember the first thing I remember you, you said this, and I, I guess I'm going back to that 34 years national TV and I get to age myself now and not feel as bad. Uh, it's been 30 years for me as a racing fan. And I, the first thing I remember you on was the ASA. And then, so there's all the great nicknames. You've been in the ASA with the polar bear and the bluebird and oh, yeah. all those. And John Bent, like my, it's like, I hear Larry Newber. Like I hear your voice, uh, they throw to you. It was, it was Larry Newber and Rob Albright throwing to you yeah. on pit road. And you'd be interviewing, you know, Mike Eddy or Bob Seneca or insert great driver, legendary driver here. Or John Benson Jr. as as that's which I I love I I mean Larry Newber is a legend God bless him like certain references certain emphasis like how he emphasized you know Bill Elliott's win at Darlington and Johnny Benson Jr.'s name those things connect I mean and then you've been able to do drag racing with the great Steve Evans and Dave McClelland and Bob yeah. Fart I mean all the and and you got to work with the great Ken you've worked like that's the thing. You grind. You were grinding in California, and you you were grinding in college, so that you could work with all these legends of motorsports. And in the end, you're responsible for this entity that the great Chris Economaki uh, came up with, which is Speed Sport News. Um, I guess. I mean, coming back to it all, I, I I went so many places. Like, what what prompted you to go and, or what did what made you buy this so that we still have it because if we had lost speed sport news i think we would i mean it is an encyclopedia motorsports it's something i mean trader gave you all those issues it's something that yeah. has gone on for for decades well that and that's exactly why we had to save it my partner joe Tripp and i uh you know it we all grew up reading it you know because there was no internet and the only way that you could find out who was winning or what news was happening was by waiting for your mailbox to have a speed sport sitting in it come Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, whenever you got your issue. Um, and this here, I'll show you. That's actually the very first issue from 1934, right there. That's how it started. It was called the national auto racing news. And it was an insert in a newspaper in New Jersey. So Chris didn't, Chris didn't actually start it. Guys in a newspaper department in New Jersey did. They thought, hey, you know, there's all this racing going on. Let's start writing about it and see what happens. So they did those six pages inside the paper that one day, and it took off. And then it developed into National Speed Sport News. And Chris was selling it in the grandstands when he was a kid. Then he started writing for it. And eventually he bought it and took it over. And when he took it over, he took it into what became the Bible of American motorsports. You know, everybody had to have it and everybody read it. And the first thing you had to do was read Chris's column because that's where all the best news was. Because nobody, there was no other way to break a story but then to call Chris and give him the tip or him to call you find out what it was and then he'd write about it and everybody would know it come the next weekend so chris and i had become friends he was like a mentor he was a colleague the very first race i ever did on tv in 1988 which was the imsa finale for camel gt in del mar california chris was my colleague on pit road on that show 
So I'd known Chris for a long time. I'd actually written some stories for him and so forth in speech board. And when he passed, the family didn't want to do it anymore because it was really his thing. And Corinne was ready to move on to other stuff with her life. So she was looking for somebody to take it over who could be uh, shepherded into another era. So she knew Joe and I and felt very comfortable with us. And she gave us the opportunity to buy the brand. And that's what we did. We bought the logo, that red square. Didn't buy all their assets or debts. We just got up the square and it was up to us to figure out what to do with it. And we turned it into a media company right away because the paper was not working anymore. So now we do two magazines, Speed Sport and Sprint Car Midget, two websites, all the TV shows. We're on every Thursday night on MAP TV. Uh, we've got our over-the-top television network, speedsport.com, Speedsport TV. That's just cranking. Um, I mean, it's firing in all cylinders right now. It's something that Chris would probably be very proud of to see where it's gone. And he'd be, he instead of having his weekly news hits, they, you, he'd be able to go and do his his 30-second spot or one-minute or two-minute hits like another great legend Robin Miller used to do for another magazine that exists uh, right. out there. And he'd be able to do it too. So it, it, it shows that uh, you learn very well in that sense from your mentor. And, and I have, like, I can, I guess like we're doing show and tell here. I'm going to go and bring, bring this out since, since we got it. So since we're talking book. about them, I, I read about this as part of my senior thesis uh, talking about the great Chris Economaki. Yeah, that was um, written by one of our uh, Speedsport columnists and regular writers, Dave Argebright. Dave Argebright, who, if there is a sprint car race or a race on dirt with four wheels, you're likely going to see Dave Argebright there, and he'll know everything that's going on. Um, you know, I guess I, I, one thing I figure currently, uh, Young Money and his brother-in-law, uh, Brad Sweet, the multi-time World of Outlaws champion, recently announced that they're going to be doing a new weekly sprint car series on Wednesdays. Um, any news or anything? Have they contacted you or your entities in regards to coverage or well, they, any they, more? Uh, Kyle has a partnership with Flow. Yeah. So it's going to all air over there. And that's what it's all about. It's about them getting more subscriptions for flow. And um, ah. it's going to be Tuesday. It's going to be a midweek series. So it's going to depend on where they are in the country with the outlaw schedule. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out because uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of politics with it before it's all said and done. Yeah. That's, that's the thing I was going to ask you because you've been connected to the sprints for so long, the 410 sprint car game for so long, and you know the big players amongst now three entities uh, that will exist. Um, I mean, you already have the World of Outlaws and All-Star Circuit of Champions and those people that run those and the teams that are willing to do those. And then you have the locals. You have the Pennsylvania Posse. You have the Midwest guys, the ones that are going to run Knoxville. I, Knoxville, you're going to have the ones that are going to run out in Ohio and run Eldora and all that. Is it too much? I mean, I guess it gets into that whole competition thing. It's kind of like goes in sports with live golf versus the PGA Tour. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of the the cart and IRL split in, in many decades ago. It's 
are we spreading ourselves too thin in regards to like four ten? No, the outlaws and the all stars have always gotten along just fine, um, and they will continue to do so. Um, and then, I mean, because the outlaws really run coast to coast, border to border. The all stars are a huge regional series, right? They don't go too far west, but they run all over uh, the northeast and into the Midwest, down into the south. But I really kind of see that as a big regional deal, if you will. Guys don't have to tow too far to run that series. Um, and I think Tony likes keeping it that way. And then you've got all these smaller regions that you got to have the locals running to develop so that eventually think of all those local tracks as eventually becoming feeder series into the All-Stars and the Outlaws. A guy's got to go run, whether it's in Pennsylvania or California, Ohio, that's where you build your chops, right? You become good enough that when the outlaws come through or the all-stars come through and you beat those guys, now you start developing a name and some following and some sponsorship money comes behind you. And eventually you've got what it takes to go out on the road and follow the outlaws and try to become a Donnie Shots. You know, that's what Kyle Larson had to do. Brad Sweet and everybody else. You know, Danny Lasoski, all of them. Shotzi, of course, you got to run strong in those tough regions to build up that reputation. Everybody goes, hey, this guy, Brian Brown, is really becoming something in Knoxville on a weekly basis. Eventually, he can go out on the Outlaws and maybe run for a championship. And then when you get on the Outlaw Trail, it'll take you another five years or so to get it figured out. I, I talked to Sheldon Hodgefield about this last year at Knoxville, and he said, I'm still a couple of years out from really being able to feel like I've got everything it takes to run for the championship against guys like Brad and Donnie because they have so much knowledge about all the tracks across the country, all the different types of dirt, different weather conditions, different track conditions. I mean, think of how many different tracks they go to during the course of a year running almost 100 events a year. It's crazy. And you've got to be on your A-plus game every night with your crew, with yourself. Everything's got to be perfect to beat those guys points-wise over 100 races a year. It's really a remarkable thing to stand on top at the end of the year and say you're the number one guy. And it kind of speaks to how good Brent Marks was this past Absolutely. weekend to go and win the but Kings he's a Royal. Example, very strong in the Pennsylvania Posse, beating guys like Lance DeWeese and Chad Kemenaw and you know all the top guys in in Pennsylvania on a regular basis, winning all over up there. So that then you start venturing out a little bit and you go to something like the Kings Royal and you're able to beat the best in the business that given weekend when they're all coming after you, that really says something. And that wakes people up, makes them take notice that eventually this guy's going to be ready to go for the whole thing. I figure I'll leave with uh, Levy. I know I, we've had you for uh, about an hour here. Or let you go. I know you're busy with so many things. I wanted to ask you about a couple of your uh, buddies that you've done many telecasts with. Uh, I know Brad Doty's starting to sneak himself out onto Instagram and post a little bit here and there. And he's a legend. And you guys were the broadcast team uh, for World of Outlaws for me when in my in my prime growing up and listening to the races you talked about um, the race where um, the dude won in uh, Tony's uh, 20 car the first his first Knoxville Nationals win first of uh, I think three uh, yep. or, or 
second of three actually because he had one for the beef packers team so that was a first for tony which has become way more since then um how how is uh uh the great brad Doty doing and also scott russell because i i it always comes up like i'll watch old super bike races i'll watch old daytona 200s and he was he was the king of the daytona 200 in my mind he was, and he was yeah. great on a super bike he went went across the pond won the world Superbike championship gave carl fogarty the business which always makes me happy because he was just always angry about everything and um you know uh, those two guys, I mean, and, and like one of the lasting memories for a lot of people was the savage crash that, you know, Scott Russell suffered at the start of, uh, the Daytona 200, I think about 20 years ago, it was, um, when he was riding a Ducati. So, um, how are those guys doing? And I mean, you're in touch with so many people. How are, I mean, you're, yeah. you're in the pulse, you have the connection, you have the pulse to everybody in racing. I've been very, very fortunate to work with some amazing, talented guys in the broadcast booth and on different television teams, whether I was sharing the booth with them, like with Brad and Scott or Jeff Emig, or just being a part of a broadcast team with guys like Dave Despain and Bob Varsha and mentioned Ken, Ken Squire has been a, a legend for so many years, even Chris, so many guys. I mean, I start I say one guy and I feel bad because I got to say everybody's names because there's so many great ones. Steve Evans, Lord rest his soul and big Mac got to work with him and Bob Fry and those guys and the NHRA was incredible. I mean, I got to do drag races with Don Perdome and Don Garlitz as my color commentators. It's amazing to think, you know, snake was an absolute hero to me as a kid still is. And to think I got to sit there and broadcast the U S nationals with Don Perdome. That's amazing. You know, that kid that was driving all those hours to Sonoma to announce a motorcycle race was eventually doing the U.S. Nationals with Don Perdome. It's unbelievable. But Doty's doing great. Uh, the Brad Doty Classic went really well this year at Attica. It was a great night. They had perfect weather, good car count. So he's very happy. I'll see him in a few weeks in Knoxville. Always look forward to that and talking about old times together. Uh, he's one of my best friends. Love Brad Doty. He's as great a guy as you can imagine he is. Chief Russell, he's... Um, you're right. He was a master of Daytona. Everything that Dale Earnhardt Sr. was at Daytona in four wheels, Scott Russell was on two. The Intimidator knew how to work the draft in a car, and Chief knew how to do it on two wheels. Man, that guy was something else. I'll never forget the year he crashed at the start, fell back to like 60th, 62nd, something like that, and came through the field and won it. Unbelievable. 60th place to the win. I mean, just remarkable what that guy could do at that place. And just to give context to that, the Daytona 200 at that point, back in the 90s, this was when we got World Superbike guys, which is, this is when the Americans dominated motorcycle road racing. So yeah. we had the world champion, I'm sorry, I mean, I know you're cutting in and out, you're, we had the world champion in the World Superbikes. And we had the American Superbike champions. So that's number one. Number two, there were 80, there were as many bikes in the Daytona 200 as there were cars in the Rolex 24 at Daytona. That's essentially what we're talking about. And the Rolex 24, of course, is 24 hours. The 200, the Daytona 200 was unique in itself because essentially that was the only Superbike race that a lot of these entities were running with pit stops that was the long the longest race they were going to run all year 
And you had the AMA Superbike guys versus the World Superbike Championship guys versus teams that were coming that do endurance, the whole bit. It was an all-star race. The King, Kenny Roberts, won this race. All the great riders that went to Grand Prix glory, uh, many of the great riders that went to Grand Prix glory had run this race. You have Carl Fogarty, who won multiple World Superbike Championships and ran the Isle of Man, and he, he ran this race. But Scott Russell was the king. And I, I I watched that video. I'm forgetting what year it is. I'm sorry I am right now. It's somewhere, I'm thinking, 92 or 90, 91 through 93. One of those years, because that was when Scott Russell was in between running here and running the world, and he won the world championship. I feel like he was running for the world championship, or he had won the world championship, crashed in the Daytona 200 early and won. But um, guy's a freaking beast. Um, and it kind of goes with all those guys that ran those bikes back in the day, right? With Kevin Schwantz, uh, King Kenny, uh, and it goes, and it goes Wayne back Rainey. to exactly yeah. what you were talking about at the very beginning that every single one of those guys you just mentioned has the exact same mindset as Dale Earnhardt Sr., Tony Stewart, Mario Andretti, AJ Foyt. They all think the same way. It's just different forms of racing, and that's what makes it so exciting and interesting for me. And it's why we get to listen to you still, and we're grateful that you're able to be the voice for us. You've been a voice for all of us in our lives, and um, we're looking forward to hearing you for another, you want to do it for another 30 to 60 years. So hopefully we get to listen to you for another 30 to 60 years uh, because uh, you are one of the greatest ever, and I'm so grateful that uh, you've given us the time. I think we probably need to do like a live and we need to do a coffee chat or something like there has to be like a series that we make out of this um, convince Anthony Wayne to fund it. I think he has a couple of bucks. He just won a top fuel race. Anyone in SRX race. I think he can, he can dump a couple bucks into it um, mainly because of all the merch that I've bought that has Tony Stewart on it. Um, but either way, uh, thank you so much, Ralph. Uh, you are an absolute hero and a legend and um, uh, God bless to you and your family. And to the rest of the season, I'm looking forward to seeing your work on the American Flat Track Series and uh, hoping to see some great action over there. And I'm wishing you were on other things, but I'm just glad that you're on that and we get you on Speed Sport with your columns and everything that you have going on with that. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, there's a possibility we might have some exciting announcements for you in the coming weeks. Maybe some new things coming down the pipe we'll be a part of. So we look forward to that. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll see me some more on the air here real soon. But thanks for having me, guys. Happy to come on anytime. Yeah, thank you. And let us know. Maybe you can announce it here so then we get some more viewers. Uh, <laughs> and we can go and promote national uh uh, speed sport news and uh, sprint car and midget it's sprint car midget magazine because we get I get both those emails uh, but they kind of overlap so the fact is I get it in the speed sport email so I know everything that's coming in the other email so might want to go and work on your talk to your people on that but um, the fact of the matter is it is the most information you're going to get in regards to dirt 
in regards to the grassroots and the great motorsports we have over there, but you're also going to go and get the more mainstream motorsports that you listen to us uh, for, for the most part here uh, on the Gripshire podcast. But this man is an icon. He's a legend. I don't remember what the American dream said about him. All I remember is Ralph Shaheen. He he emphasized your last name and it always stayed with me. Um, this was when TNN was rebranding themselves. So it was like Monster Jam or something yeah, like that. Or Motor Matt. Yeah. And and they were and this is when ECW went over there and they had they had super crazy pointing out and he's like, Oh, it's the Nacho Network. And that was when TNN basically went under. Um, Buddy Baker was actually doing ASA, so it tells you how crazy it was because CBS had lost the NASCAR package. But one thing's for sure, you've worked with so many legends, but you are a legend, and we appreciate your time. Um, Hopefully, we can have another uh, opportunity to have you on. We can ask some more questions, maybe pick your brain on some of the stories that you have from sports cars with young Tommy Kendall, because that's another guy that's hold is holding out on me uh, that uh, maybe we could go and get some dirt on. Maybe I could guilt him into coming on this show. There you go. Yeah. I'm happy to come back anytime. All right. Thank you so much, Ralph. Um, so with that, we're going to move on here. Now um, there's a great interview with the great Ralph Shaheen, absolute icon of motorsports broadcasting uh, somebody that, I mean, I'm, I, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to do the rest of this show. Honestly, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, he, that's the thing you're, I, I need, I need to, you need to do a master class like how Donald Davidson does, uh, at IUPUI for all of his history lessons. He does. I need to do the, the lesson. I need to do the lesson of when you, you interview one of the people you've luck, looked up to your whole life as a fan and as a writer and as a broadcaster and a journalist, how do you go and go from that and then go and do uh, the rest of your show? Though you could just do it right now. You could just do it live since you're still on. You might as well, well just go and educate me right now. Yeah, no, you just you just got to find a point, turn the page. How do I turn the page on you though? Like that's the thing. <laughs> like, like that's the thing. How do, how do we turn the page on you? Like you're, you're dismissing your drop out on you, but you know, yeah, it's all good. You just, we're good. Turn the page. It doesn't work that way with you though. That's a thing. Like it didn't even work that way with your buddy, Derek. Like that's the thing. Crystal break, you know, you gotta go. You got business. Well, there, the, yeah, that's the thing. I don't have a hard out. If I had a hard out, then at least I have something to do, but, um, well, you, you just got to make it. We're keeping that in. You want me to do it for you? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, folks, it's been great being on here with these guys. I really enjoyed myself. It's a great show. Make sure you tune in every week. They're going to be right here with you for now. I'm Ralph Shaheen. I've really enjoyed my time on here. I look forward to coming back with these guys soon, but they've got a lot more coming your way. So stay right where you are. They're going to be right back with more. So long, everybody. Yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a reason why. There's a reason why he's been doing this <laughs> for longer than I've been alive. That's why. I didn't know how to get out of that. I was not going to be able to get out of that as long as he's sitting there staring. I'm staring at him. I'm like I'm staring at a hero. It's bad. It it's really embarrassing. It's it's the way Tim Kirchin felt when he was ta- looking at Armando 
when he was sitting there with Armando at the All-Star game in Miami and Adnan Verk went and said, because I have the Home Run Derby in my background right now, and uh, Adnan Verk said, this is your biggest fan, and Armando was wearing white spandex pants, a tank top, and driving gloves, which makes sense since it fits the whole track house thing. And Ralph brought that up uh, during our show in regards to um, uh, the Team 91 deal. So, okay, let's go into the uh, race, uh, the the big news of the weekend and part of why uh, Josh or, or Joe, you're on and Josh, you can, we talked about this. Uh, we're probably going long here. We're going to do another couple hours here. So this is going to be a long one, people. Um, appreciate it. You're getting an education in broadcasting and motorsports from an absolute motorsports icon. He's been with all of them. Um, for people who don't understand motorsports, Ralph Shaheen's been all with all the greats. He's done it all. His hair is still the same color, and it's basically at the same level as it was back when I started watching him in 1993. I mean, his wife, his wife, his wife. I didn't want to go there. I, I didn't want to get that hardcore. I've joked around with him about it. It's funny. He gets a laugh out of it. Um, mainly, I mean, if I started going in really deep because Tony's graying and he's fat compared to what he looked like back in the day when he was thin and he had a terrible porn stash and a mullet, kind of like Jeff Gordon. Um, though I did kill, though I did, I might get some content out of that. Um, because, um, Tony is held out on his boy, um, which is sacrilege to be fair, considering all the crap that Tony has. Um, another guy that Tony probably should have hired, but he didn't, uh, he probably should have hired Kyle Larson wanted to, but Ford didn't give him the, okay. Um, Tyler Reddick, a guy who, um, is one of the best, uh, young drivers in this sport recently coming off of his first win, Josh uh, at road America, beating Clyde, uh, the most popular driver in the sport with the personality of a cardboard box and is harder on himself than most people. I mean, I, I, that's the one thing that relates to me to the Clyde. I'm very hard on myself and I take the piss out of myself. I'm very sarcastic, but I also take the piss out of myself to go and, you know, um, cover up for whatever insecurities or whatever I have, but Clyde's finished first, second, first, second, last four races. We're about to get into that. But one of the guys that beat him, Tyler Reddick is one of the best talents in NASCAR. And he shook up the sport on uh, Tuesday afternoon when he randomly slid into a um, zoom meeting with one Dennis Hamlin and announced that he is going to be a part of 2311 racing for what we believe would be the replacement to Kurt Busch, but could be the replacement to Denny or to Bubba Wallace. Maybe something happens with Denny where he's able to move over there. Maybe he's replaced Denny Hamlin. Maybe they're going to get another charter. He's going to 2311 and this isn't even happening until the start of 2024. We're a year and a half out. This is like going back to like 2005 era yeah, when Kurt um, Busch, Jamie McMurray, and all that stuff. Yeah, when that was all going on, when Krusty Wallace 
and Mark Martin called their retirements. Now, of course, Rusty actually stuck with it. Um, Mark lasted another 86 years. Um, and I think he still wants to drive because he could set up the race. He still remembers his setups from 1975 on his ASA car. So I think he still wants to drive, but he doesn't want to say it. Um, it's the same way some of these other people like Kimi Raikkonen still held on and Fernando Alonso. But um, initial thoughts on when, what you thought when you heard it. And now that we've had over a week and a race weekend to go over it, what do you think about the move and all the pieces that are going in? And Joe, I'll throw to you once you can chime in uh, once Josh is done. Yeah, I mean, first off, for me, yeah, it was probably until the IndyCar news later that day last week, uh, that was a pretty significant piece of news. And what a way to do it. Uh, literally, Tyler Reddick um, joined in on the Zoom meeting and fooled all the media. Well, not really, but surprised everybody. And uh, he was uh, jumped into the meeting with uh, Denny, and then they announced the, the deal uh, had taken place. And uh, the, the shocking part of it is the fact that, I guess, for few few years now we've gotten uh used to uh tyler reddick being in the number eight car with um with our rcr racing and we've seen him progress uh, so far in his career you know last year uh made made the playoffs uh 2020 uh had a couple of good runs and you saw him uh you know progress from his uh xfinity championships in rcr and at uh jr motorsports and for me, I thought maybe he might be uh, a piece uh, at RCR, um, it, you know, as kind of becoming the main guy. Even though we all know kind of that Austin Dillon is the kind of the de facto guy over there. That you know, Tyler Reddick's the actual guy who goes out and performs on a most mostly week to week basis in the Cup Series. So it was kind of shocking to see that um, they were going to make the move uh, to go to, or he was going to make the move to go to 2311 in a year and a half from now in the 2024 season. So from that perspective, yeah, it was shocking. And then also uh, go back to the fact that earlier this year, Danny Hamlin also had said that uh, they had put their plans on hold uh, to expand beyond two cars uh, because they wanted to, feel out the current uh, business situation in NASCAR with the TV deal uh, contracts and how money uh, is going to be flowed down to the teams and uh, the drivers and all that stuff with uh, the current economic situation, of course, and in America right now is also a little bit un unstable. So there's also uh, the fact there that um, expanding to three cars m might not be the best time to do it, uh, given all those things. So from that uh, angle as well, that was a, a bit shocking. And then, you know, going back to what you'd said earlier with uh, Tyler Reddick not joining until a year and a half from now in 2024, well, goes back to that situation with Kurt Busch uh, and Rusty Wallace and then Jamie McMurray and uh, uh, Jamie McMurray and Mark Martin and ended up being that Jamie McMurray takes over the 97, Mark stays and unretires, and then Rusty Wallace goes on and Kurt Busch gets released a year from his contract, go drive the two car. And then this also kind of brings in uh, Casey Kane situation also with how he signed for Hendrick in 2012 to take over Mark Martin, but uh, and, or Evanham Motorsports still had him for, or I guess it was Richard Petty Motorsports um, in 2010, still had, still had him for another year, but then they released him with about five races to go, I think, in, in the uh, 
season, I think, and, and he went on to go to Red Bull for one year where he was basically the guy over there. So, yeah, it's a, definitely a weird situation. We're going to have to see how this plays out because, yeah, you mentioned earlier with Bubba Wallace, um, he seemingly was the franchise guy, and I still think he is, but we, um, we don't know how committed uh, Denny Hamlin actually is to uh, Bubba beyond next year. Uh, and especially since he called Tyler Reddick a uh, franchise driver and Kurt Busch, who we thought might have been gone after 2021, but then came back and, uh, you know, is going to have a, at least a two-year stay uh, with the 45 uh, at 2311. Yeah, so I'll hop in at this point. So uh, first off, Josh, I think everything you said on is spot on. It is great, right? This move is great for Tyler Reddick. This move is horrible for pretty much everyone else, right? So you have Reddick, who really, I mean, to me, he was overdue for a win, right? You look back at a few races where he's been really competitive, not just this year, but even reaching into last year. And even there was one or two back in 2020, back in his rookie year in Cup, where I thought maybe there was a chance. Um, and so this, this first win, certainly coming, again, far overdue, uh, much later than I anticipated, uh, you know, I think this is a good move for the longevity of his career, right? I mean, we are seeing a, a much better Tyler Reddick this year than I think we've seen from the, the year to year on, as far as consistency goes. I know even still he hasn't been super consistent, but he's definitely getting there. Uh, but as far as Reddick goes, I feel like he is better than the equipment he's in. It's no secret Richard Childress Racing has not been very good for a number of years now. Really, the last year I can think where, man, they seemed like they were really pretty on it was when Newman drove his way to the Final Four in 2014. That's almost a decade ago now, right? They have been in a downward spiral, and they've had highlights, right? Dylan was able to get the win in the 2017 Coke 600, but he did it on fuel strategy, right? He did it leading pretty much just that last lap and a half. He won the Daytona 500, no contest there. Um, you know, big moment 20 years after Dale Earnhardt did it in that number three. Um, and then he had the Texas win. And that's pretty much everything that's happened for RCR to me that I, I think of in the last eight years, other than getting Reddick. I mean, Reddick was this team's biggest catch. Childress said that uh, Reddick reminded him a lot of Kale Yarbrough that he was going to be a force to be reckoned with. And he was absolutely right. He was spot on. Reddick is a phenomenal driver with just absolutely great talent. And, you know, I, I was not surprised when Childress uh, had announced that, yes, they had picked up the contract option for 2023. Uh, to me, that made perfect sense. I'm thinking, you know, at this point, uh, Reddick's been with Chevrolet for quite a few years now. You go back even past that year that they won the Xfinity Championship back to his first Xfinity Championship, which came with JRM. You know, that was with Chevrolet as well. So you're talking now, you know, including next year, six years uh, with Chevrolet, it's a long time to be with the manufacturer. You just kind of get used to it. So when they dropped the news, I was also uh, pretty shocked in the moment. But the more and more I thought about it, the more and more it makes sense. You have this young, dangerous guy who is, again, He's outgrown the equipment he's in, right? So you have this guy who needs to be in better equipment. He needs to be more competitive because his talent is at that level far more than what Richard Childress Racing can give him. Because again, let's be honest, Childress, the team, the equipment, it really hasn't gotten much better since 2014. So for Reddick, this is a great move. And for Jordan and Hamlin, it's a great catch, right? 
it throws the rest of the sport into an absolute whirlwind. I don't remember the last time I saw something like this. And maybe the last time I saw a deal like this was when Boyer, I believe it was in 2016 or 2015, maybe had announced that at the end of uh, the 16 or the, end of the start of the 17 season, he would fill in the 14 for Tony Stewart. But these types of deals, they only come up now every once in a while where you're saying, oh, yeah, by the way, it's a year and a half or two years away, but this is the plan. Um, it's very rare. And what's funny is I don't remember uh, too well the Boyer situation, but I don't remember it sending in the just an absolute spiral out of control, right? You had Childress make their statement uh, on social media that this could not come at a worse time. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably true for that team. Uh, I don't know that I would advertise that if I were the team, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely true. Think about it. You've just locked yourself into the playoffs. You've just committed to being at this team for another year. And now it's probably going to be really awkward, right? So the social dynamic that goes into it can definitely affect Reddick for the next year and a half. Um, and, and there's a lot that can happen because of this. It, maybe there is the possibility that that contract option gets dropped and Reddick's got no home next year, um, which if he does get dropped, I can't imagine, especially now with the seat in the number 42 being open, which we'll touch on in a bit, I'm sure. Uh, you know, with seats going to be open, I really can't imagine that he won't have a home next year. Um, you know, again, just this incredible talent. And I think the move he's making is for the better, the long term of his career. Now, what does it mean at 2311 racing, right? I talked about Richard Childress. They're losing basic. They're losing their best driver. Point blank. Uh, what does it mean for 2311 racing? This is an opportunity for them, right? They have sort of, I think when a lot of people, including myself, when they said, okay, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, right? And that three-time Daytona 500 winner and an NBA champion, they're going to make an NASCAR team, right? Michael Jordan is a winner. He likes winning. He breathes winning, right? He smells like winning or whatever winning smells like, right? He wants winners. Very, he, a lot like Chip Ganass. I don't think he's going to keep somebody around if they're not winning, right? And, true, and, you know, Bubba got a win last year at Talladega. Kurt got a win earlier this year. And when they announced the Reddick situation, I was very much confused because, again, Josh, like you had mentioned, Hamlin had made some comments. They were holding off on their plans and, uh, and, and whatnot for the future. And so now we have a driver who's committed for 2024. And we know that both drivers are already committed for 2023 at 2311, that being Kurt Busch and Bubba Wallace. Um, so really, it, it is a matter of now, again, long term. What happens from here, right? Hamlin's made multiple statements about Kurt Busch. He says he, you know, so long as Kurt Busch wants a job, he, he wants him at 2311. Uh, I think Hamlin has a tremendous amount of respect for Kurt, and, and it's very obvious by what he says. But the fact that he's so open that, okay, well, if Kurt wants to be here, he's going to be here, right? To me, that indicates that Kurt's going to go on his own terms. He's going to retire on his own terms. And if he chooses that 20, the end of 2023 is not the time for that, then 2311 either needs to find the money to put into another charter, or we're going to have a driver out of a ride. And it's actually, it's very funny. I was just writing, uh, I just submitted the article for Fanside about this. So, uh, you know, if you're listening in the future, the article hopefully is already out. Go, go uh, beyondtheflag.com. But there's a good chance that, Bubba, if he doesn't pick it up, he may lose his ride. Now, I know he had a good performance this week, right? But to me, the sign 
experts are saying he's in more danger than I think we've previously believed. And it, it's starting to fall, I don't know, apart together. Something's falling. Um, you know, the issues he's had with the pit crew and with uh, Booty Barker the past few weeks, they got pretty nasty on the radio at Nashville. Um, you know, it, it worries me for him. Uh, you know, I, I certainly I think he's a great personality to keep around in the sport. I certainly hope that he is able to carry the momentum and uh, maybe find something in the second half of the season. But really, honestly, if he's not able to find anything the second half of the season and 2023, the first half doesn't really go any better, uh, you know, then it really all hinges on what Kurt wants to do. Right. Uh, it would because to me, quite honestly, I don't I don't see them expanding the third charter. I think this year, given how crazy last year was with the charters and seeing how many of the prices skyrocketed. I don't think this this offseason is going to be the year for anybody to buy a charter. I think they're going to take it easy this year. And then 2024 might be another hot year. So I don't really expect 2311 to go after another charter, which to me means somebody's losing their ride. So is Kurt going to give in voluntarily or is Bubba going to lose his ride? That's the way I see it. I could totally be wrong. But from my perspective and the information I have, that's sort of where this is going for me. That's the concern I had when I heard the news. Um, One, I mean, the initial takeaway was, oh, Kurt is going to retire and then, oh, he'll take over the 45. But then my second thought was, well, Kurt still has it. And his relationship with Denny, because theoretically they are of the same, they've came in at the same time, albeit, you know, Kurt came in a few years earlier. Um, It sounds like Kurt wants to be involved, whether it's in a management ownership, he wants to be involved. He is now single again, um, whether that involves, you know, whatever that divorce and how that'll work to be determined. He's had quite an interesting um, situation with relationships amongst all the women he's had over his career in NASCAR. But um, to be fair, one thing that's been consistent with Kurt Busch is his ability to do work uh, in a race car. And he's freaking glasses are killing me. So I'm going to adjust them here. I'm going to leave them. So what I'm going to say is, yeah, Bubba has to show up. And if he wants to go and continue to keep his ride, I I always remember one thing that Bubba said. He said, he's like, you know what? I have this deal and I have a three-year deal or whatever. I, I don't know if he said three years, but it seems like it's three years. So 21, 22, 23. And if after three years with this opportunity, with these cars and all this, if I'm not able to make it happen, then I'm going to go and disappear into the sunset. You're never going to hear from me ever again. Or there, or something of those, some, something like that. And he's getting married to his soulmate at the end of this year in Amanda. Um, I'm sure he wants to have a family. They want to have a family. He is a good race car driver. Is he the best race car driver? Uh, most people would say no. He's a good driver. He has talent. He has proven in NASCAR's Big Three Series that he can win. Um, he has proven it in the in the Truck Series. He won six races, and he could have won in the Cups or in the Xfinity Series. And he's had opportunities in cup outside of his one win that he has had along with you know yesterday um 
the fact of the matter is Tyler Reddick is a talent that's going to be around for a long time, along with the guy that won yesterday. Um, at the end of the day, you just have to figure um, it's going to get down to a point where they are going to figure out a way. Uh, what I personally believe, based on what you guys have been talking about, I think we're going to have an expansion of the field, not because they fill 36 cars, because they fill out more than 36 cars, but because you're screwing people out of making any money. You're keeping the likes of Carl Long, who has a Gen 7 car, or you, yeah, Gen 7 car uh, out of the field. There are the Beard Motorsports team who would probably loan their car out and or make a deal with somebody like Rick Ware or whoever to possibly run a full season charter. Um, you have Rick Ware, who is not a great team and they haven't, they've had their moments with one of their cars, but they're not really contenders. The Spire team with the 77 car doesn't run every week and they suck. The seven car is basically right on the cusp of the top 30 in points. And there's supposed to be a three-year deal where if you're out in the bottom three teams of the charters, they're supposed to go and uh, decide if you're going to keep that charter, which the 78, the team with BJ McLeod also falls into that realm as well. So all those things come into play. Uh, the other piece before we move on to New Hampshire is the fact that RCR right now, it looks like they're basically fucked. And um, that in turn leads to you guys' favorite driver, Jubug, um, going and um, talking about the price of charters being a little bit too high. They're probably going to lose one of their cash cows in Gagson because he's probably going to go to Maury Gallagher because that's a Vegas connection. Him and Spencer Ga uh, Spencer Gallagher can go and do cocaine and all the other drugs that they all like to do. And that'll get swept under the rug again. And he'll get to drive the 42 car and hit the wall half the year. But RCR needs somebody that is going to be able to run that team and make it happen. Well, you have Dale Jr., Junior Motorsports, the connection to Dale Sr. They, the fact is, if we're going to say who's a better, more likely scenario to make a cup team work in this day and age of NASCAR, Dale Jr. and Kelly are more prepared to run a team than whatever um, Richard Childress and his um, investors. Uh, Josh, I, I guess I'll throw that to you first. Um, and Joe, I'll let you close out on that before we get into uh, the New Hampshire uh, recap, which involves uh, another young gun that may or may not be worried about his job. But after yesterday, I'm not sure if he really has to worry about his job for a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a really interesting aspect there with Dale Jr. potentially uh, acquiring RCR Racing uh, and kind of brings things into full circle for Junior Motorsports because if you remember going all the way back to the original number 88 car when uh, they were originally sponsored by the Navy, uh, if I 
believe my facts are correct here, and I'm trying to look at that right now on Wikipedia, but uh, the 88 car uh, was, I think, supported by RCR initially rather than uh, DEI when they uh, first made the uh, Junior Motorsports uh, debut um, with uh, the number 88 car uh, all the way back at the uh, end of 2005. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, thing to look at because now Junior potentially, you know, going out and acquiring RCR Racing brings it full circle, goes back, ties it back to his dad. And then also, uh, if, uh, you know, right now Junior Motorsports is obviously affiliated with Hendrick, well, um, does this mean that essentially Hendrick is acquiring RCR or would they break off the partnership with uh, Hendrick and then go to um, Childress and basically merge with uh, with them and become uh, Junior Motorsports or, you know, Junior or Earnhardt Children's Motorsports or something like that, um, and potentially you know go go through with that because there's you know you have the RCR's engine program they're supporting other teams in the Xfinity series and um, you know they're supporting other teams in the Cup series. And, you know, does that uh, change things with the Junior's current relationship with uh, Hendrick and you know, does Hendrick uh, end up kind of you know supporting both uh, Junior Motorsports and RCR? It's going to be an interesting thing how this plays out. So yeah, it doesn't. Uh, lead credence to the fact that this could happen we'll have to see but uh you know there's still a long way to go to figure out if that's actually going to happen or not yeah this is weird because again it's we're talking about so far in the future we have a lot of time before we might actually hear anything about this um but here here's what i'm sort of thinking right we have three possible paths we have one that's very clear Nothing happens. Childress is not entertaining the idea that he wants to sell the team or merge the team or nothing. He's in it. Maybe he sells the charter for the number eight and goes down to a one car team. But essentially, business wise, nothing happens. Okay, there's your first option. Second option, they merge, right? Junior Motorsports, Kelly, Dale Jr. meet up with Richard Childress. They say, you know what, let's pool our assets. Okay, maybe we're going to have uh, a five-car Xfinity team. Because remember, with Xfinity, no charters, no team limits, okay? So maybe now they pool their resources, they can have this expanded Xfinity team, and they also carry cup cars, right? And maybe they try to do it, I think, in that situation, more under the Earnhardt banner rather than the Childress banner, just because I think Earnhardt's, uh, you know, with Dale and Kelly, they're going to continue to be in the sport. Richard Childress, he's old. Love the guy but he can't do this forever. Right. And when does that time come? This is that, this may be that moment. Realist, uh, realistically. Uh, the third option is junior motorsports might just buy out Richard Childress, right? This could be the making of a situation very similar to Justin Marks calling up Chip Ganassi and making him an offer that he knew Chip Ganassi could not refuse. Right. And, and even though the team may not be for sale, Chip Ganassi racing wasn't for sale, according to Chip himself, until that phone call was had. So, you know, the possibilities really are endless. But to me, those are sort of the three more realistic routes that could occur. Now, if Junior Motorsports, because I, I, I'm going to be honest, given the affiliation with Hendrick, I struggle to see uh, Junior and Childress merging because I think at that point you may have to consider cutting the tie with Hendrick, right? And that that affects the Xfinity program. That would uh, affect their potential cup program. That affects a lot and, and maybe even to the point of affecting sponsorship. Um, so that's something that's really dangerous that, you know, I mean, but listen, Dale and Kelly, they're the business people. They know the stuff much better than myself and outsider knows. Uh, so they'll know what the right thing to do is for them. But 
I, I would imagine is a really big risk for them to do that. And I'm just not sure that that risk is worth it. If you're going to try and start a cup team, um, you know, I, I find it more realistic that maybe, you know, junior has a conversation with RC. They kind of say, you know, we, we want to continue the name and maybe they in cup, maybe they don't even advertise it as JRN. Maybe they advertise it as Dale Jr. taking over RCR, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be, okay, well, RCR ceases to exist. It is now JRM. Um, but even still, I would find that more realistic that they kind of buy out all of the assets and, you know, after that RC maybe just hangs around the track, but without real uh, ownership or real stake in, in any properties, um, you know, it, it's, it's very strange. It's a very interesting time. Now, one of the other things too, and, and this may... Uh, you know, be an option as well. Uh, I talk about Childress maybe wanting to sell off one of those charters. He may offer up that charter to Dale Jr., right? He may say, hey, you know, you talk about a, a discount rate. We're, we're losing a driver. I'm not really sure with sponsors and such, I might be able to replace them. Why don't you give me, you know, instead of the $12 million that charters were going for last year, maybe just, you know, buy it off of me for uh, eight, right? eight million bucks maybe he gives junior some type of uh, a steal of a deal right and junior gets that one charter that he can fly under the jrm banner uh to, to go cup racing now of course we're still talking 2024 right i don't really know how much of this affects the immediate future 2023 what i will say is i think it would be smart if if dale and kelly are if this is something that they're interested in if this is a conversation that they want to have with richard they may want to pursue it before the end of the 2022 season, because once 2023 comes around, then everybody's going to start thinking about 2024. We're only going to be a few weeks in and people are already going to start thinking about 2024 because we know we're going to have movement during that off season. So it would be a really dangerous thing to not have a conversation with Richard before the end of 2022, because that might mean other people are having those conversations. And I think Dale and Kelly, they have an advantage of, They've known Richard for a very long time. I mean, hell, Junior's driven for Richard in Xfinity. He won the Wrangler car back in 2010. So you can't say there's no relationship or there's no benefit right now to being Dale Jr. when uh, eyeing up RCR. So I definitely think it's a realistic possibility. Just it's a matter of which route do they want to go, right? Because JRN still has to worry about the immediate future and what do they want to do in 2023? Do they want to still try to acquire a charter or do they want to run a part-time car mate and, and then in 2024 uh, try and get a charter and go full-time cup racing? So a lot of different options, but way too hard to tell. Yeah, I don't know if the part-time option has any value because we have seen more races here this year uh with the new car uh so far with only like what 20 with 19 races in to the season 2019 or 20 we're into the where they've only had the chartered cars show up um not many races where there have been extra cars uh with the new business model with the new car relative to the gen six where they had a different model um i don't think junior wants to lose money just to go and run limited races uh, it's something that we have to see um he wants to get in it sounds like he wants to get in i think everybody and their mother knows he wants to get in but he uh got bumped by justin marks and matt colleague in, in regards to that race 
and um, for some reason, um, Rick Ware and the Spire group are still involved. Um, if either of them knew what was good for them, I think I think Rick Ware is still going to be around. I think Spire's willing to bail at least for one charter. Uh, they've had as many as four. It's, it sounds like I think Rick Ware at four and or, or Spire at three. So you think about it, you've got one fifth of the charters amongst the bottom two entities that are in the cup series in regards to teams and their performance. Um, but most of the other teams are super teams or four car efforts. The only reason we have four car teams is because Hendrick cried wolf about Roush having five out of 10 in the chase in 2005. And since 2005, Hendrick Motorsports for the last 20 what, or 17 years, for the vast majority of the last 17 years, they've been way more dominant of a team than Roush has been. Roush's dominance went away after I think about 06 and um, they started losing sponsors in the process. So they screwed Roush multiple ways with that. Um, they could fix the, they could have, they could have saved it. If, if, if Bat Fallon had shut up and just let it happen, he could have went and expanded his team to five or six teams, gotten fortune 500 companies involved and, or had a satellite effort and made another four teams. And this wouldn't have been no problem. He cried wolf. And now there's a four car limit. You can't have connection, theoretically direct, direct connections to another team, which in turn screws Dale Jr. Because he wants to have Hendrick engines and chassis. Um, but in the Cup Series, it's not as big of a deal. Chevy, I think, essentially has an engine program that's for everybody and everything else is, you know, the same for everybody else. So we'll see how all that works. Let's get into... Uh, this weekend's race at New Hampshire. Uh, it's a big uh, deal because Christopher Bell won uh, his second career Cup Series race. A Toyota um, junior driver of sorts, a guy that they've cultivated and ri- raised through the ranks, won a Truck Series championship like Eric Jones wasn't able to win an Xfinity championship like Eric Jones uh, took over for Matt Kenseth, who essentially um, kicked Eric Jones to the curb in a sense. Um, or no, Martin Truex was the guy that kicked Eric Jones to the curb. And then they got rid because they'd already gotten rid of Daniel Suarez. But Christopher Bell is a guy who um, with Adam Stevens, a two-time champion crew chief, um, is a is a driver and a crew chief that are trying to prove something. And um, he went out there yesterday and won the race, won the Am Better 301 at New Hampshire. Uh, trying to, I don't know why I brought up the points twice. Uh, wanted to bring up the race results there. Uh, clicked, it's too quick. All right, so the race results at, New Hampshire. It was a Toyota benefit for the most part. Um, Toyota's led the vast majority of the race. I'm trying to see um, outside of three Toyotas. I think everybody else led about 45 laps. So 301 laps in the race and uh, 
Toyota's led about 240 or 50 of them between Martin Truex Jr., who qualified on pole, won both stages, the winner, Christopher Bell, who led the last 42 laps of the race, and Kurt Busch, who led 40 laps in the middle of the race, um, but wasn't able to uh, take down a stage win in the process. Um, Made a pit stop there, thought it would work out, didn't have said on his social media they haven't had a, a run that long in a decade. But Christopher Bell gets his second career Cup Series win, Josh. Uh, 14th different winner in the 2022 season. 20 races, 14 winners. Christopher Bell essentially locks himself into the playoffs because his points situation is pretty good. Uh, we talked about this offline. Uh, about the group that's that's kind of all really close. I only have one win. Chris Bell's above that. We also talked about the guys that are outside of the points and outside of the cut line. The two guys that are third and fourth in overall points, and the guy who's ninth in points who is in the cutoff spot. Um, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., and Kevin Harvick, to be specific. Um, Truex and Harvick were the two best cars yesterday in the race. Uh, strategy didn't work out in their favor. Blaney did not have a good run, but right now there's a possibility. There's a strong possibility that one or all of those guys are going to be out of this playoff. Um, if things kind of go the way things are at the moment, um, but Christopher Bell said, I'm not going to be a part of that conversation, at least for a little bit, uh, with the performance he did, passing Clyde late and pissing him off uh, to go get that victory at New Hampshire. Yeah, so this this shakes things up. It continues to shake things up. Um, thought maybe it might happen at Road America where we got a 14th winner. Oh, uh, we did get a new winner there with Tyler Reddick, but you know, I thought maybe um, the last couple of weeks that we would have a lot more new winners, but you know, we, like I said, been saying it since like the uh, beginning of the summer that we're getting onto the stretch of races here in uh, the season where we have a, a lot of uh, volatility in the uh, series, a lot of new winners. Um, and we're just getting started on that uh, streak. You know, we've got Pocono coming up, uh, Indianapolis, Watkins Glen, Daytona, uh, Richmond, Michigan. So all these racetracks are different on a week-to-week basis uh, up, up until the start of the playoffs where could uh, see at least two new winners and does put everybody in a dangerous spot. And certainly right now with only 14 winners, still two spots that have left to be claimed. Yeah, there is a strong possibility now that Kevin Harvick doesn't make the uh, playoffs for the NASCAR Cup Series. It's going to be first time he's missed the playoffs in a long time. Uh, going back all the way back to probably uh, 2009 is the last time he did not make the playoffs uh, in the Cup Series. So strong possibility there, uh, you know, with um, that, the way Stuart Haas has performed this year, they have not been as dominant like they were in 2020. Um, to argue that they've been probably worse than what they were uh, in 2021. Of course, you know, they had only two winners uh, uh last or you know they had eric almorola winning last season and then this year they had uh chase briscoe winning at phoenix and um briscoe you know even even with that win not doing so hot uh in the cup series as far as his point situation um so there's still a lot of instability there uh 
with Stuart Harris racing. So um, 14 winners, Chris Bell, uh, who's relatively good on points right now. So if they do get to 16 winners, um, he probably would be at the top of the, or, or closer to the top as far as the group of uh, drivers that still have only one win, uh, which there are a lot of here uh, this season. So it's going to be interesting and uh, you know, definitely going to have to see how it all plays out. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see who wins uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, does it, you know, push out Martin Truex? Because, you know, he hasn't really been as hot. I think Ryan Blaney uh, at some point is going to win. Um, I could potentially see him winning um, Michigan, which he won last year, or Daytona, too. Those are two good tracks for him. Uh, maybe Richmond or a Pocono, but not sure about the road races for Ryan Blaney. So uh, Truex, maybe Watkins Glen. You know, he's won there in the past. Pocono, um, too. Yeah, Pocono as well. For both of them. Yeah. So Trix, Trix and Blaney, I think, do have good chances. But beyond that, it starts to get harder to see um, who can win because it's going to start depending on uh, strategy and luck or you know whatever you can make of it. So we'll have to see what, what happens in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, it does uh, shake things up. And you know, we have the first uh, time we had 14, uh, 14 winners in the Cup Series since – 2011 and we're probably going to be on track to go past that number here as we uh, progress uh, throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. And Joe, we get into this. I know you have your, your spreadsheet. You post it on your socials at Pacero Jr. Um, You do this for your website, for your, uh, your side gig. Um, We're getting into a crazy time in regards to points and, I'm of a I'm of the oak that I liked it with ten drivers. I'm good with twelve drivers. Whatever. It's the playoffs. There should be less is more, which means a lot of those one win teams would still be screwed because they'd have to win two races or they'd have to start earning playoff points. Uh, but it doesn't take into account the fact that the drivers that are third, who was the best, or or fourth, who was fourth in point, who was best driver yesterday and still doesn't have a race win at New Hampshire in a cup car, which is crazy. And Kevin Harvick, who's ninth in points and right now is on the cutoff or outside of the cutoff, would be knocked out of the playoffs. And they've run better over the first 20 races. Uh, I'm an old school guy. I mean, Mar- we had Ralph Shaheen on. He covered racing going all back to the back in the day. I believe in actually being consistent over a whole season and being able to show up every week and do well. The format that BZF came up with is you can shit the bed, you know, during the regular season as long as you win a race. Well, you shit the bed and you win a race it may not guarantee you a, a, a way into this playoff. If you've earned enough points and you've done the job, you've been up there every week, you may also not be good enough to get in. Uh, I think we're missing the boat here in regards to what it takes to be a playoff driver. Uh, when you have guys that have essentially maybe maybe put together three or four good runs, the whole year and are in the playoff. I mean, it goes back to last year when 
McDowell ran over Brad and, and Joey and won the Daytona 500 and finished 26th in points and then was raised up into the playoff, got knocked out in the first round and finished 16th. He's doing better this year than he did last year. He actually looks more like somebody that belongs in a playoff than he did last year. But unless he wins Indianapolis or Daytona, he's not going to get in. It's a it's a crazy dichotomy we have here uh, with the Cup Series, even though they have probably way too many drivers making the playoffs. Yeah, so, you know, points are one of my favorite things to follow. That's part of why I do all the stage point tweets that you had mentioned. Um, I, I think it's super interesting how the points flow. And this year in particular, what I've noticed, because I've been doing this since, uh, I want to say, either late 2018 or early 2019 is kind of when I started this thing up. Uh, the points this year have been way more volatile throughout the course of the entire year uh, to this point than any other year that I've covered that I can remember. You know, typically after 13, 14, even 15 races some years, you really don't have a lot of movement. You have, you know, two or three guys who get close in points and they might move and switch around a few times. But generally speaking, it was almost like you had blocks. You had a block of five or six drivers, and they kind of separated themselves from the second block, which was made up of another five or six or seven drivers separated, you know, by another gap of points to a third block. You don't really have this this year. Uh, nobody, maybe arguably other than the top three drivers, have has really found any type of consistency. And you look at the gap from driver to driver, and a lot of it is less than, you know, 15 points from the next driver up in points. So you have guys who are swapping and one bad run for one driver is really all that someone else might need to pass. You. Now that in addition to the fact that this car lends itself to uh, a very, I don't want to say a super different style of racing, but definitely more passing a lot of different people up at the front that we don't typically see up at the front this year. Uh, as opposed to past years, has led to more winners. And we are now at the point, this is when NASCAR put this playoff system together, this is what they wanted. When NASCAR put Daytona at the end of the regular season, this is what they wanted. They wanted something unpredictable, something with a lot of parity, something that was volatile because it keeps the viewers engaged, right? We have 14 different winners right now, two more winners in the next six races. And we have to start talking about the drivers who have won, who will be eliminated from the playoffs. This is an exciting prospect, quite honestly. This has never been talked about before. We've never gotten to the point of we have 14 different winners in the regular season who are in the top 30 in points who can qualify into the playoffs in a few weeks' time, right? And what's even crazier about that is, is you have two champions, right, of the NASCAR Cup Series, Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr., who are right now on points, no wins, fighting for that last spot. And my heart goes out to Harvick, and I'll tell you why. A few weeks ago, he was about 30 points out. And through Reddick's trouble, because at that point, uh, and this was far before Reddick's win, uh, Reddick had dropped out of the playoffs. Almarola then was in. Harvick got to the bubble. He then passed Almarola. Reddick wins, bumps him out. Harvick gets back in on points and now gets bumped out again. I mean, this week, he had it down to an 11-point gap to Christopher Bell uh, at the end of stage two. And by Bell winning and solidifying his spot, for now, uh, 
that gap is now back open to 68 points. Harvick has been in and out in the playoffs this year in the regular season more than I remember any other driver going in and out of the playoffs. So it, we're really getting down to the point of, you know, I don't know if Harvick can point his way in. He probably has to win. And in fact, anybody at this point who's not in with a win is going to have to win because I, I know 68 points, you can make most of that up in one race, but that that's silly. That's a bad mentality to go into because you're assuming you have a fantastic day and you're assuming that the other driver gets one point, right? Because you can make up 59 points in a race, but that that's if you execute, you win that race, right? And at that point, you're in the playoffs anyway. So, you know, what happens now? We have six races. We have, in my mind, three drivers who I'm thinking have a legitimate shot to win who haven't already uh, being Kevin Harvick. You know, we, we talked about him good at Pocono, he's shown some strength at Daytona the past few times they've been there. Uh, you have uh, Martin Truex Jr. was really good at Atlanta. And, and quite honestly, he's impressed me a little bit more with his uh, plate racing as of late. Um, and, and road courses are his strength. I know Toyota hasn't really been there at the road courses this year, but Truex showed up when they were at Road America, did uh, better than most of the day than other Toyotas. Uh, and then you've got Ryan Blaney, who is really the only one of those three who's been consistent despite his uh, incidents this year. He, he's had a few incidents the past few weeks, one at Gateway, one this weekend at New Hampshire. He's the only one of those three who has found consistency, and he's the closest to the points leader. Why does that matter, that he's the closest to the points leader, right? Chase Elliott, right now, 734 points. He has one race, 67 points, back to Ross Chastain. 78 back is Ryan Blaney, Right. I know Chase is on this hot streak right now. One, two, one, two. And if the pattern continues, might win again this weekend. Um, but if Chase has two bad races, which it can happen, we've seen Alex Bowman's on a string of four. Larson had a string of a few bad races earlier in the spring, and it's not totally unprecedented, right? A string of bad races could mean the downfall of Chase Elliott's hopes for the regular season title. And if Blaney is good, he may not have to win because if you win the regular season title, you don't have to have a win. The regular season champion will always advance into the playoffs, regardless of winning. Now, I know 78 points is a bit of a stretch, especially with how well Chase has been doing. And really, even with how well Ross Chastain has been doing, I know they're closer. They're only uh, nine points apart uh, or 11, rather. Uh, they're only 11 points apart, but even still, it's been a tough task to, to get around Chastain, whether you're on the track or whether you're in points. So Blaney, to me, has the best chance of being in the playoffs out of these three, regardless of what happens with winners. Uh, if he doesn't win, he's got still a substantial chance because he, to me, has a good chance of winning the regular season championship if something happens to Chase Elliott. Um, you know, the dynamic with the points this year is extremely different because, two, right? We could enter with more than 16 winners, right? Let's say we get those three guys, right? That puts you at 17. Bubba could win at Daytona. He's proven it. McDowell could win at the Indy Road Course. He's a good road racer. I mean, hell, Chris Buescher might win one of these races. He's been showing up lately, right? So you had, you could realistically have six different winners in the next six races. I don't think that'll happen, but then you, it becomes, okay, a combination of points and wins. Anyone with two wins in the top 30 right now, they're good. They're in the playoffs. No worries. Anybody who's got one win, they could be in danger in two weeks' time. And it, it's something that 
it's exciting in some sense, but at the same time, Phil, I think what you spoke to about having, you know, 10 or 12 drivers, uh, more meant less, less meant more. Um, you know, it, it is, it, I, I've been a big proponent of this playoff system. This season is starting to make me rethink that. I love that we're getting a lot of different winners, but when you have guys in the top 10 in points, especially third and fourth with Truex and Blaney, who we're talking about now, they can't be in the playoffs potentially to me. That's a little bit of an issue. If you're third or fourth in points, you need to be in the playoffs. Even if you haven't won a race, you're probably in better championship contention than the guy who's replacing you in 20th in points, right? So, you know, and, and I don't want to get too deep into this. This might be a topic for an off-season uh, show, but there may be, I don't know if this is the same way NASCAR is thinking or if this is the same way they may be thinking after the response from fans comes in after the season, maybe there does need to be a little bit of a tweaking to this playoff system. I mean, I mean, personally, they had it eight, 10 and 12 for a long time, eight in trucks, 10 in Xfinity and 12 in cup. They had to do the expansion. They had to get Jeff Gordon in as a 13th guy because of and I'm scratching my shoulder here because Clint Boyer had to, itch he, he needed yeah, to get his, his arm itch. itch itch it cause caution uh-huh uh clint boyer had had an itch clint boyer had clint boyer had an itch where you get to see this on the grip strip podcast youtube page so i'm gonna go and shill all my stuff since uh ralph shaheen brought up the fact that all the fire extinguishers went off and kenny schrader somehow in his infinite wisdom thought it was like drinking a six pack of Budwasher. Uh, the, the notion of the, the playoff, the way it is, it's you're watering down the people that are going to be in this playoff. And the fact is you have 10 tracks. I mean, minus Texas, minus Kansas that could really prove out to be a great champion. And you have drivers, guys who've won. T- I mean, the, the lowest driver that is in this right now is Danny Hamlin, but he has two wins. He needed a win. So once he got his one win, okay, fine. He was sort of protected. He got that second win and now he's covered. He's the worst in regards to points of anybody, but we get into the points. I mean, I'll bring it up here before we move forward. Um, you can go on J ski and actually see it. Um, between Alex Bowman and Chase Briscoe, who's between ninth and 14th in the playoff standings, you have 45 points. It's 45 points in overall points between those six drivers. So Bowman, Sindrick, Kurt Busch, Suarez, Reddick, Briscoe. And Briscoe, Reddick, Suarez, Sindrick all won their first race this year, bringing up the uh, bringing up the, uh, the driver point standings just to go and see in regards to the playoff points. We talked about this offline. Um, Bowman is behind all of those guys in regards to playoff points by one. Kurt Busch, Daniel Suarez, Tyler Reddick, Chase Briscoe all have seven playoff points. Um, so, and they're all together in points by 20. Um, Sindrick has six playoff points along with Alex Bowman, 
but Sindrick somehow or another has moved himself all the way up to 13th in points. I, I remember a few weeks ago, he was way behind that. So obviously some stuff has happened, but um, I guess Sindrick is figuring it out. I mean, we know he's going to win rookie of the year. That, that happened once he won the Daytona 500, but Sindrick is actually 13th in points. He's going to be in a spot where he's going to actually earn it, earn himself into this playoff, I think. Um, I'll throw, I mean, is, what, is the cutoff based on playoff points if if it gets down to that? No. So let, let's say we get 17 winners, right? What's going to happen is the driver, uh, because basically at this point it'll be a one-one driver, um, the driver that is the farthest down in points with the least number of wins, which would be one win in this case, uh, will be eliminated. So right now, that driver is Chase Briscoe in 17. He would be the first bum uh, should we get that 17th winner, assuming that winner is ahead of Briscoe in points, right? Because you could have someone like Brad Keselowski, right? He's 29th in points. Him winning, right, even if we get past the 16 mark, him winning is going to be inconsequential at that point because he's going to have no one in front of him to bump. Everyone's in front of him. And he won't have enough playoff points because he lost uh, He lost playoff yeah. points in the, in the infraction that he had earlier in the season, which they brought up yesterday. Um, I mean, we talk about this race yesterday, but we'll go into the results. Uh, Christopher Bell gets the win over Clyde. Bobber Wallace finishes third. Martin Truex from pole comes back to fourth. Kevin Harvick finishes fifth. Danny Hamlin, sixth. Brad Keselowski gets his best finish of 2022 in seventh, his best win, uh, best finish as a car owner so far, um, other and than his, so uh, per, his win at uh, Daytona in the – and and he got into it with with bald spot Dylan uh, because he didn't like bald yeah, spots didn't like him in how right his bald spot went and ran into him in the left side and then uh, Brad showed him how you go and finish people off and destroyed his left side of his car and went into the pits and still had a faster car and came back to seventh. So it tells you all you need to know about the difference of Brad Keselowski and uh, bald spot. Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez on an off day for um, uh, what do you call a track house get eighth and ninth. Kurt Busch, who had one of the better cars this weekend, uh, came back to tenth with an alternative pitch strategy. Uh, you got some of these other people. Byron's won two races this year. He finished eleven. Kyle Busch spun out multiple times, still finished twelfth. Sindrick thirteenth. Young Money, the defending series champion, 14th. Chase Briscoe, we brought up, uh, had a fast car, terrible qualifying run, got up front, was leading, uh, spun out at one point, got all the way back to 15th. AJ Allmendinger proving once again how good college racing is. Uh, their 16 car, when he's in it, seemingly is a better car than Justin Haley who's running the full season, which is kind of crazy. Um, Blaney finished 18th. He hit the wall. Uh, Tyler Reddick had a rough uh, race. Dylan hit everything but the lottery. And finished 23rd. Joey Logano 
pitch strategy led 25 laps, but pitch strategy worked against him. Harrison Burton actually led. Well, that might be the first laps he's led in cup. Uh, and Eric Almirola lost a bunch of his gears. Uh, defending race winner was running way better than that. Uh, would have been a good day for him, but finished 31st and lost a lot of ground to try and possibly go and make the playoff there. Um, I wanted to go over, I mean, we've been going for a while here. Um, might have to do two episodes at this point. Um, the fact that um, Bubba comes through with his best finish of the year, third place finish, ran up top 10 most of the race. Uh, his pit crew, the swap, the two people they swapped to the 20 car last week at Atlanta didn't look so good, got bailed out because of the new rules. Um, Adam Stevens saves his uh, four-week suspension, and this week they're able to go and get the win uh, going over the uh, the 23 team. Didn't have the, the best uh, deal at Atlanta coming off of the spring race where they were up front, but this race might have been Bubba's best performance in Cup, and he did win of course, at Talladega, um, had to make the move, and he made a great move and great defense to win his first career cup race at Talladega a few months ago. But in regards to his performances in NASCAR, and I'm a Bubba supporter, the way he handled himself yesterday, the way he drove yesterday, they lost a position here and there on pit road, but Daryl did what he had to do and if he continues that at Pocono at a track where he's had good bad and different moments but it's a track that Kurt Busch is really good at too so if they're able to figure something out in practice who knows Daytona of course we know he's going to be able to do well at um Michigan is a track that Bubba has won at as well as Kurt Busch like we're talking about the 16 winners thing that Right there, that performance by Bubba Wallace yesterday was something that we needed to see. Uh, we're getting into Brad Keselowski is another one. Guy's a freaking champion. He's won over 30 races. He's going in the Hall of Fame, NASCAR Hall of Fame. He has four of the five guys that have won their first race this year drove for him. So that alone is Hall of Fame worthy, just based on recruitment, but... Brad and RFK are starting to turn the corner. The 17 car has been good for base for the vast majority of the year, but Brad's been off ever since Daytona, but he's starting to figure it out and he's a champion. I guess let's, I'm going to open it up to the panel here before we move forward and we decide what we're going to do with the rest of this episode because we've been going on for two hours. But um, the performances of Bubba and Brad Josh are something we have to look at because that hasn't really happened all this year. I mean, I think Bubba's performance, these kind of performances should have happened a long time ago, but whether it's Bubba screwing himself, whether it's Booty effing up, or what's most likely, which is his pit crew shitting the bed, he hasn't been able to show his true potential. And Brad who knows what it is because it's RFK. Yeah. I mean, 
Brad, or well, uh, start off with Bubba first. I think you know Bubba's had you know a lot of uh, races where yeah, he gave away a good finish. Um, go back to uh, the Coke Six Hundred. They had a really good uh, car there. They uh, were close to running up front. You know they led. Uh, in fact, one lap, but then they finished twenty eighth place uh, because of mis miscommunication uh, after a caution and they got caught with the driver vehicle performance policy and uh, or damage vehicle uh, policy and um, were forced by NASCAR to park the car and it was more or less due to a uh, miscommunication of the team remember they went uh, decided to go half half speed or half throttle on like the last stage lap to preserve the tires and then uh, since it was only five laps or so uh, since a caution or less than five laps since a caution came out, they hadn't uh, picked up enough speed to uh, you know be in touch with the leaders, and so NASCAR parked them uh, for that, and that was a good race car. I remember that race; they, they had a good car there and uh, should have uh, finished in the top ten there. Uh, look at um, Kansas; they had issues there, um, and they were well in the top five at that race as well, and still managed to come back and finish 10th uh nashville of course they had a great car there um and again they were up into the top 10 uh they had a, a good car in practice didn't have good qualifying effort um but came back to finish uh 12th um so you know those are three races right there and then of course go back all the way back to atlanta they were um coming uh to the white flag they were like in second place and they got taken out in the last lap coming to the line um so there's a been a lot of races here where uh you know Bubba Wallace a handful of them could have finished in the top five uh and it seems like you know when the the Toyotas overall are really good uh it seems like the they you know they have a, a lot of good pace and it's gonna be something to look out for here the rest of the way here for the playoffs uh as we get closer to that can uh the Toyotas consistently be uh having good pace uh, across the board for all six of those cars and uh, of course gives better opportunity for Bubba Wallace to you know be able to go out and uh potentially sneak his way into the playoffs uh with the win uh potentially at Daytona or otherwise or you know possibly Pocono remember he finished last year uh there in third place off good uh fuel strategy so we'll have to see uh and it does bode well for his uh opportunities for the future as we talked about earlier with uh Tyler Reddick potentially taking over his seat uh should that come uh to fruition and then you know, I think with Brad um you know outside of Daytona right you know like you said he hasn't done a whole lot and um you know of course he had the points penalty as well which basically knocked him in into the negative uh as you know as far as uh, having points and that's kind of what's been bogging him down um in the standings but even with that still has not had a whole lot of speed this year uh overall and i think yeah uh new hampshire the first places where they had a lot of good speed uh throughout the entire race since daytona so we'll have to see what happens with brad keselowski um i can't see him you know making it into the playoffs but you know you look at this as a long-term move you know the six car has not been very good in, in quite a while so we'll have to see if uh he's able to make something of it and you know possibly uh next year they come out as a better team overall and i think it's probably a better uh higher likely chance that we see chris buster you know possibly make it into the playoffs than uh brad keselowski what do you think about those two guys joe and 
Um, any other takeaways you have before we get into the Xfinity series? Yeah, so a few takeaways from the cup race. I, I guess I'll start towards the front of the field, right? Obviously, I'm not going to go into Bell too much. We already talked about him. His win puts him in the playoffs. Um, I think probably an overdue win, right? I mean, he's been running a lot better than what I think most people have been giving him credit for. And, and not that people have been discrediting him necessarily, but uh, I also feel like, you know, he's not very much the topic of conversation um, when he does have good runs. But, uh, you know, he wins another spot in the playoffs taken for now. Uh, Chase Elliott. I know people are probably sick of hearing about Chase Elliott the past few weeks, but you cannot deny the impressive run he's on. Uh, first, second, first, second, the last four races. Uh, and arguably, had it not been for him overdriving the car on the last runs of those races could be four in a row right now. Right. Um, and, and so long as they can get into uh, the playoffs and he can solve that issue, I think we may see uh, a driver start to pull away. Right. We haven't really seen that much this year. Chase is starting to build up a bit of a points gap. Um, winning the regular season championship at this point for him would put him I mean, he's not going to separate himself at this point that far unless he wins two or more three races before the end of the regular season. But, uh, you know, to me, he's starting to shape up to be the favorite uh, to, to possibly go in and win this regular season championship, as well as even potentially the uh, get to the final four and, and win the championship for 2022. Bubba, I think you have to talk about, right? We were just talking about, and me in particular, I was just talking about man, he's probably in the most trouble of losing his ride at 23-11 racing come two years from now when Reddick comes over. If he can continue to run like this, and granted, you're not going to finish third every week, right? You're not even going to finish top 10 every week. But if he can start to find some more consistency, if he can uh, ju just, you know, hone it in, right? Have a few more top fives, a few more top tens, you know, maybe that leads to a win. It's performances like this and becoming consistent with performances like this that's going to allow him to keep his ride at 23-11 when Reddick does come over. Uh, like you, Phil, I'm a big supporter. Uh, I'd love to see, you know, Bubba do well, um, you know, but realistically, right, he just needs to carry this momentum forward. We're going to a few tracks where he's shown some strength at in past years. Pocono is going to be an opportunity where he made his first Cup Series start. Daytona is going to be an opportunity when they go to Talladega in the playoff race, whether or not he's part of the playoffs at that point, that's going to be an, at least an opportunity to showcase his strength to possibly go out there and win an upset playoffs if he's not in it. Uh, so, you know, you have to look at him right now. Uh, you know, as far as uh, some of the other drivers, you know, that really stick out to me after this weekend, Brad finishing seventh. This is the type of run he needed. Now, Brad, unlike uh, Bubba, right? I think Bubba, we're talking maybe, uh, I know he's still far back in points at this rate, uh, you know. Uh, Brad, I mean, he, he's got to win. It, it's put up or shut up. Um, even Bubba's got to win, put up or shut up, right? Harvick, there's the argument, put up or shut up, he's got to win. But uh, with Brad, you know, we've known, I think, for a while that he's probably in a winning situation. When you lose 100 points very early in the season, it's still, you can overcome it. But when you don't perform, then you have to win. Um, so to see that out of his car in particular, I think is a good sign for RFK as a whole, right? We've seen those good runs out of Busher. Busher, I think we've talked about maybe at a road course or at Daytona where he won a duel earlier this year. Uh, there's a chance he, he can do some damage and, and again, shake up the playoff picture. Brad, it's a little harder for me to see do that. And even if I'm not looking at playoffs for Brad, 
right? Which unless it's Daytona, I don't really think I am. Um, but with Brad, if he can take the second half of the season and put the ego aside, put the I'm a NASCAR champion, put the I've been in the playoffs X amount of years, which it seems like he has done. Um, if he can do that and continue to do that and just slowly work at it, he I think they can improve RFK to the point by the end of this season where maybe next season we're talking uh, uh, playoff contention for both cars, right? Um, in that case, you know, when you're developing, it's more advantageous to have two cars rather than four, less, uh, less resources that you need to spread. Um, you know, at, at this point, though, I, I think really the biggest takeaway is you need to win to be in the playoffs, right? Har- Harvick, yes, he's maybe the one driver who can go up there and if Truex and Blaney have two or three bad races, he can capitalize on it. Um, he's the only one that's got a shot, right? You need to win, win to be in. Blaney might have the other route. Truex, he's in trouble. Uh, but, you know, it, it's going to make these next six weeks really interesting to see what happens, um, especially given the really strange variety of tracks we're hitting, right? You have Pocono, which is a triangle, which is going to have a lot of shifting. You're going to have them uh, road courses at Watkins Glen and Indianapolis, again, more shifting, but I feel like a lot more dynamic uh, situations, right? Pocono, during the runs, it becomes a little stagnant sometimes. It really becomes a, about fuel more than anything over the long run. Road courses, there's so many more opportunities to make mistakes. Uh, and the two road courses we're going to, in general, are just very different from each other, um, despite the shifting and the right turns. Um, then you got Daytona, right? As well as uh, Michigan, another fast track, a little bit different. Richmond. And Richmond, right. The very slow track. Um, so, you know, six very different, for the most part, different tracks that are going to, you know, that that open up for a lot of different possibility. Um, and that, that, I think, more than anything, is my biggest takeaway from this weekend. You better get your ass in victory lane if you want to be in the playoffs at this point. Because if you don't, there's not much hope for you. And I'll bet you Martin Truex and Blaney will back up that statement. And so would Kevin Harvick, who's on his second longest losing streak of his career. And uh, Rodney Childers is feeling it too, uh, considering that that's Stuart Haas's lead dog. And the first person that would likely get knocked out in a 16 win or a 17th winner scenario would be a Stuart Haas car. So Stuart Haas is on notice. Ford is on notice. They're not in a good place even with this car um so if blaney was was able to show up here win at michigan win at pocono if uh martin truex could he wasn't able to win at one of his 86 home tracks last week at new hampshire but if he's able to win at another one at pocono or Watkins Glen, you know that that opens up the deal there he's won at richmond multiple times before that can really make things tough. So points are have to be key. You have to earn as many points as you can. I'm starting to think that certain drivers that are in that spot are going to be going for playoff uh, stage points and playoff points instead of maybe going for results, uh, final results. Uh, you have two road courses coming up, which would lead to that. Um, Richmond, which had the pit stop strategy in the spring race uh, could lead to that as well. The Xfinity Series race at New Hampshire, the crayon 
200 um, and it is in Crayola. Um, saw Justin Allgaier get the victory. First win for Chevy at uh, New Hampshire in 10 years, mainly because Joe Gibbs has dominated. Joe Gibbs Racing has dominated there. And then who, if it wasn't Joe Gibbs, it was a Ford of some sort. Justin Allgaier, Trevor Bain in the 18 car, finished second. Brandon Brown finished third. Uh, Jeremy Clemens, fourth. Sheldon Creed, fifth. Ty Dillon, who doesn't have a job after this year, sixth. Uh, Austin Hill, Kyle Weatherman driving for no talent. Jesse Awuji, Mason Massey in the... uh, DGM Racing 91 finished ninth. Bailey Curry driving for Johnny Davis Motorsports finished 10th. Now, the reason that took place, I mean, uh, I think the result had uh, Landon Castle and Noah Gregson in third and fourth, I believe, in the original result, but both of them failed failed post-race inspection for ride heights. So they both got DQ'd and sent to the back of the field. So somehow or another, they had, I think they had stage points in both stages. I'm looking at the numbers. One, two, three. No, the the nine did not have stage points because he got spun out coming to the second one. Yeah, so both of them didn't have stage points. All right, so, but... In the end, Landon Castle was up front for a good part of the race. He was up there, and uh, and he got DQ'd, and then so did Gagson. And those are, I mean, in Gagson's case, he's locked into the playoffs. It's no big deal. Landon Castle had a career race on Saturday, and that got canceled out uh, because of, you know, the whatever ride heights on the left rear corner or whatever. Uh, but it showed that that team does have pace. Uh, yet AJ Allmendinger did finish third in both stages. Um, the 11 car didn't have much to show for the day, even though he had stage points. He led early, qualified second, got wrecked. Uh, what is it? He was in a wreck with Ryan C. Jeb Burton, that was the one where um, Jebert and Arca breaked into Ryan Sieg. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else was involved in that one. But um, fact of the matter is, Allgaier gets a victory at New Hampshire. Uh, been looking for one there at that racetrack for a while. So big deal for him. He is now only 16 points out of the overall points lead uh, to get 15 playoff points. And um, he's only three points out of the playoff point lead or you know, with Ty Gibbs, who has uh, 23. So right now, as things stand, Josh, I mean, we, we know that there's really six drivers uh, that are the ones that we have to really look at in regards to this championship. There are going to be 12 drivers that make this playoff, um, but really there's six that we have to look at. And one of those guys is Justin Allgaier. And the only other driver that stood out 
on Saturday was Ty Gibbs before he had his mechanical issues. Um, finished second in both stages, led 49 laps at a track that is a, a Gibbs track. He, in the end, we're starting to see where this playoff is likely going to be decided. I think it's uh, Junior Motorsports versus Joe Gibbs, and it's essentially three against one because, I mean, Sam Mayer, for whatever you want to say, he's a rookie. Uh, he's only won a couple stages, but he's not really a factor as of yet to really be a championship contender, at least this year. But the other three guys, I think, are championship contenders. And uh, Ty Gibbs is probably the only thing that's standing in the way of Junior Motorsports winning an Xfinity championship this year. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, with the, this race here, this is a really a volatile race overall. I mean, you look at uh, the way the cautions played out, the, the results, how they played out, uh, look at uh, who crashed and, uh, you know, who didn't crash out of this race. Um, we we picked, uh, I think, you know, I think I picked William Byron to win this race and he had electrical failure uh, on lap 163 and dropped out of the race and had led 22 laps and he was expected to run up front and he had run up front up until that point. Brandon Jones crashed out. Uh, Anthony Alfredo, who's you know kind of a mid-pack guy, w- was eliminated. Riley Herbs, Josh Berry was crashed out. Um, you know, Dale Dale Hemrick, who tagged Noah Gregson coming to the end of stage two, uh, ended up being taken out in a crash. So a lot of a lot of things happened in this race, uh, results-wise, that caused kind of the shift uh, and kind of the weird uh, r- running order at the end of, at the at the top of the top 10 because it led to some different strategies and whatnot with uh brandon brown of course uh probably the beneficiary there um led led some laps on the uh one of the restarts and then came in and took tires and was able to basically work in his favor but didn't really have the pace to get up there uh quite up you know to just nagar's uh you know position to be able to challenge uh, he was able to kind of get up there with uh brandon or with uh Noah Gregson and Landon Castle, but not really have enough pace to be able to, you know, get around both of those guys quickly and and get onto Justin Algar. I think by that point, didn't have enough car and used up his tires and all that. So, uh, good result for that team, of course, but um, kind of explains why they had issues there. Uh, you know, you talked about uh, Landon Castle. I think for him, not only is this a career race, this also might be a race had he been able to win the race or finish in second, it could have been a race that made his career because, you know, right now sponsorship is up in the air. His sponsor Voyager, of course, uh, one of the crypto companies that went and filed for bankruptcy. So there's a lot of uh, instability there is finding a, a solid sponsor past this year. And at any point, you know, they could end up uh, having to not field them because they don't have enough sponsorship funding uh, to, you know, uh, hedge against uh, the crypto sponsorship there. So this race uh, missed opportunity, of course, and adds on to the fact that he got disqualified. Uh, that's a real bummer for him uh, because uh, if he wants to stay in the Xfinity Series, I think he's probably going to need to win a race uh, and at least stay with a competitive team there. So, uh, yeah, you'll have to, we'll have to see about that. Uh, Trevor Bain continuing to finish in the top five whenever he runs for Joe Gibbs. So, Still hope for him to be able to make it out in a career, possibly in the Xfinity Series. And then, you know, Justin Agar looks like he's probably going to be the odds-on favorite to win the Xfinity title uh, as long as uh, things continue to go this way for him. Because, yeah, I think, you know, you talk about 
three versus one for uh, the playoffs. I think it's really going to just be just Nagar versus the field when it comes to the playoffs. So we'll have to see about that as we progress later in the season. Yeah, I, uh, you know, this is really interesting to me. I don't really get to watch Xfinity anymore too much because a lot of the race times overlap uh, with when I'm going over to uh, the, the Speedway, New Egypt Speedway and doing some video work over there. But uh, I try and follow it as much as I can. You know, Justin Allgaier, for as long as I can remember pretty much in Xfinity with JRM, he's pretty much been getting two to three wins a year, it seems like. And we met that quota a few weeks ago at Nashville. He got that second win. And, you know, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen with that. I think this is a good sign. Uh, you know, he missed the final four last year. That was a, a pretty big deal because, um, you know, pretty much the equivalent of uh, Harvick in Cup where he's gone so many years and he's always made final four. Uh, and last year he didn't for the first time. And, uh, you know, for him, I think he's motivated to get back to being in the final four, back to being in championship contention. Uh, and that that's a big deal for him to get this win. Um, I, I, I'm pretty much in line with you guys. To me, the championship, uh, between this series is going to be decided between JRM, uh, one of three drivers over there, uh, being Barry uh, Gregson and uh, Barry Gregson and uh, uh, Allgaier. Sorry, I got distracted. What's happening? Uh, <laughs> Switching up the screen on us, Phil. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and Ty Gibbs. So, you know, those are really the four I'm looking at. Uh, you know, Mayer, if he goes on a hot streak the next few weeks and uh, puts up some playoff points, maybe he's got something for him. But really, the way the season's gone, it, it's going to be between those four. Now, uh, you know, the, looking at the next few races here, we're going to Pocono. Uh, we're going to Indianapolis, uh, the road course over there. That's actually really cool. Uh, Michigan, Watkins Glen, Daytona, Darlington. This is going to be good on our YouTube feed. You know. As far as the, the next track being up to the playoffs, you know, <laughs> Beck's JRM to be pretty strong, but seeing the amount of road courses worries me. That may, uh, you know, shift the momentum back into the hands of Ty Gibbs, where he is very good at road courses. I think he's probably caught some bad luck at a few of the road course races this year uh, that have kept him out of victory lane. But, you know, it, it, it's really, it's going to, I think, the way that they're running, if they continue to run the way, this way, it's going to be between Allgaier and Gibbs. Barry's had some trouble lately, and truthfully, all season, he I feel like he's been a little bit of a step behind uh, some of his JRM competitors. Um, and then Gregson, man, I'll tell you, at the start of the season, I totally was thinking championship favorite, man. Uh, but past few weeks, right, points penalty after Road America, after making a real bonehead move of retaliating on a straightaway and dumping one car to get half the field, essentially. And then uh, now this week losing points. I mean, man, I, I think he's lost like 70 some points in two, two of the last few races. So that, I mean, that's a lot of trouble, right? Losing that many points in just two races. So he's in trouble. They got to clean some stuff up on that nine car. And, and maybe by the end of the season, he can be back in championship form. But the way it's shaping up is Allgaier is looking really good. Uh, for the stretch to uh, to the playoffs and, and into the playoffs, it's something we have to see. It's been he, a thing where uh, all has been in this spot before. Uh, he's been in this series on and off for the last twelve years. 
um, or 13 years, really. I think he did about a year or two in the Cup Series in between that. But um, he's been in this spot before, but not able to close. Um, can he do it this year? Uh, they were bringing him up as, oh, we have open rides. There's open rides. Would they go and give Justin Allgaier a shot? Um, I think his talent speaks to the ability to probably compete on Sundays. But does he really want to do that? He's more, and I forget who said it, whether it was Dale Jarrett or whoever it was on the broadcast, are like, well, he's got a family, his daughters, his one daughter, Harper, is a great softball player. His wife had her birthday uh, this past weekend. He want, He's a Saturday guy. He's like Randy LaJoy. He's like Tommy Houston. He's like those guys that, made their name on sun on Saturdays when the Xfinity series had that kind of thing going on. Um, so we will see what happens with that. I think at the end of the day, all just wants to be able to win that championship, uh, to go and validate his career. And, uh, he's won all these races in the series amongst now three teams, uh, he won for Penske, he won for Turner, H. Scott, I guess, maybe it's four, because I think he might have still been with H. Scott in the Xfinity series, and then Junior Motorsports, but definitely three. So we'll see what happens with that. They're going to Pocono this weekend. Um, I'm going to uh, figure, since we've been on uh, about, What's it work out to be? I think once we started the deal, it We've was... been on for about two and a half hours now. Two and a half hours. So I figure we can stop this particular feed and then um, we would continue uh, with a like second episode of sorts within this episode uh, going over all the other series and then um, Pocono Preview. And essentially, I mean, if um, if you want to continue on, Joe, you let me know. I don't know if you have work. I know I have work, too. So, yeah. so yeah. the only thing is I'm not going to be available the rest of this week. I am slammed until uh, I actually get to the racetrack on Sunday. So what I will say is if you guys do want to preview Pocono now, I'd be more than happy to. Um, if not, also all good. And uh, I'll be sure to tune into the second show. Okay, so let's uh, let's go and take care of that. Since we have a triple header, we'll just make this a whole NASCAR episode, and then um, Josh and I we can go and coordinate for I don't know tomorrow or whatever, and we'll finish out this deal for one twenty four and a half. Let's go and talk about Pocono uh, this weekend. Uh, the Gen Seven car has never been there. It's a track where you shift and. You know, that's what it was for many years. Then they had the gear rule and then they weren't shifting. And now with a five-speed transmission sequential gearbox, the shifting definitely is back. Uh, we finally saw some gearbox issues come up uh, last week at New Hampshire. I think braking issues are going to come up this weekend at Pocono. I'm going to throw to you first, Joe. And then Josh, and then I'll close out. Let's start with the Cup Series. What are we expecting in the M&M's Fan Appreciation 400 at Pocono Raceway? Hopefully I get there 
Um, still working on logistics for that and all. Um, hopefully I'll be functional enough to get there. Uh, but I know you're going to be there. You've been dealing with some stuff, but you're able to get there. So hopefully you'll be able to meet up, get a picture, post it on the show and all that. But what are you expecting on Sunday for the Cup Series at Pocono Raceway, which looks to be a pretty uh, good crowd since most of the grandstands are full? Yeah, um, I'm excited for that. Because the last few times, and granted, it was a, a while ago, um, the last few times I was at Pocono, I was in areas where there were seats pretty much almost immediately around me that were unoccupied. Uh, it's nice to have the space. It's nicer to have a big crowd. Uh, as far as on-track activity, right, I've always compared Pocono to being an oval version of a road course. And what do I mean by that? It shares a lot of the same characteristics, a lot of the same strategies that you see the short pitting, the reverse strategy, right? The total, I'm going to pit very early and then go the long run that we used to see on road courses is also something that's commonly used at, uh, at Pocono, has been used at Pocono. Uh, shifting, you know, like you'd mentioned, uh, was a big factor for a while gearbox changes led to not so much shifting uh I, this year there's going to be i think an unparalleled amount of shifting that we've seen at pocono than any other race at any other time that there's ever been a race at nascar pocono because of the fifth gear um honestly i'm expecting that they're going to drop uh from fifth to probably third at maybe one point on the track and then definitely drop to fourth, probably out of all three corners. Um, what'll be interesting to see is because this will probably end up being a fuel mileage race, very similar to last year, even though this year's um, a little bit longer an event. An event. Um, I do expect it to be fuel mileage. So I'm curious because the broadcasts have not discussed this this year very much, despite all the shifting, where there'll be short shifting, right? To try and save fuel, uh, you know, where you hit the higher gear at a lower RPM because you won't burn as much gas because you're not turning as many RPMs. Um, what, what are drivers going to do that are in their hands that maybe aren't shifting related, right? Brake problems. Uh, you know, we usually see brake problems at this track. So I imagine we will this week, uh, different brake package, different brake discs uh, in general this week. So again, uh, could be something totally different, uh, but I truthfully expect a lot more of the same. The one thing that concerns me again with the shifting, aside from mechanical problems that could arise, is that it seems like the tracks we've been to this year where we've done a lot of shifting, the performance of the race, the uh, on-track product we've gotten has lacked a little bit. Um, I find that the, you know, if you look at Jeff Gluck's polls, uh, excluding the one that, uh, you know, somebody bought into recently to try and sway the votes, um, you know, you throw that one out the window. And it seems like a lot of those races that get pulled uh, that are less satisfying to fans have had something to do with less passing, which are tracks where NASCAR has the Cup Series the past few years they haven't really shifted at. Uh, so I don't know if that will play in any this weekend. Um, I think the diffuser cleaning up the air could actually uh, definitely be a benefit this weekend. Um, we'll see how much if those balance each other out sort of. Um, as far as drivers and, and making picks, uh, you know, I got to pick Chase Elliott. I don't know how you can't pick Chase Elliott right now. He, he's the hottest driver on the circuit. One, two, one, two. And if the trend continues, he's going to win this weekend. Um, but on top of that, Hendrick Motorsports uh, at Pocono has been very good over a long period of time. Now, 
the past few races they've come, uh, they haven't been so great. Last year, they definitely had a good year. They had uh, three of their four drivers uh, up at the front at some point during the, the pair of doubleheader races. And uh, so I, I got to think that they're preparing that nine car really good and that they're going to go to Pocono with a good piece and a good chance to win. Um, we've seen Chase B getting better with this Gen 6, uh, Gen 7 car, rather. Uh, at the shifting tracks, he struggled a little bit earlier in the year. He's been getting better. So I think that could also play into his hands. Dark Horse, uh, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm going to pick Kevin Harvick and not not for anything other than uh, he, he needs a win the way I see it. And I think the way he probably and Rodney Childers probably sees it too. He needs a win. He's won at Pocono. He's good at Pocono. And uh, they've been bringing better cars to the track the past few weeks. I think just unfortunate circumstances have kept them from really breaking through the playoff bubble. Uh, so he's going to be my dark pick this week. Um, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be a better than traditional Pocono race. Sometimes those races get a little bit dry during the long runs. But uh, new car has proven to be uh, pretty good with some of these racetracks where we've seen some dry long runs. So. Uh, let's hope for more of the same from this next gen car this week. How about you, Josh? What are you thinking for this weekend at Pocono, uh, the uh, Gen 7 car? They'll be doing their practice and qualifying in between what likely we're going to talk about the trucks. It'll be the truck series regular season finale, which is something we're going to get into just to close um, this part of the episode. But in between the trucks and Xfinity race, you're going to have practice and qualifying for the Cup Series race, which is part of the reason why the Saturday ticket, honestly, in my humble opinion, is the better ticket, even though everybody's showing up on Sunday, because you're going to have truck series first thing in the morning, you're going to have Cup in the middle of the day, and then you're going to have Xfinity to close the day, and you get to go and hang out and have dinner at uh, the racetrack after the race because you're going to have to wait out the traffic a little bit, but it won't be as much traffic as you're going to have to wait out on Sunday. Yeah, well, I think as far as the technicality goes for the racing, um, you know, you mentioned, Joe, the shifting, short shifting, um, you know, the long long straights, fuel mileage. I think one thing we have to consider is the draft, uh, especially at a track like Pocono, the longest straightaway in, uh, in NASCAR and you know, you have also the long pong straightaway and then the straightaway in between uh, turn two and turn three. Um, so it's going to be interesting how the draft works. We've seen in the past uh, some of the races here at Pocono and NASCAR, uh, the draft came into play at uh, different points of, of the race uh, when, you know, they were close together. Um, it's when IndyCar raced at Pocono really came into play. Um, I think especially the the technique of how they are going to shift is probably going to be similar to how the IndyCars uh, had done their downshifting back in when they were running. So I would expect something from probably fifth to third gear in turn three because it's a very flat corner, probably the lowest uh, speed corner of uh, all three corners. And then the other two corners downshift down into fourth gear, um, you know, going into the corner entry so it's going to be interesting to see how it, how it plays out as far as uh, the racing quality goes um and i i do feel like that fuel strategy is probably going to come into play as it has uh, a lot of times in the past and it's one of my favorite things about pocono um even though yeah it gets long and strung out um the stress of trying to make it on on gas towards the end uh is always a uh, 
uh, a storyline that you have to watch at Pocono. We saw it last year, um, guys falling out of the race uh, and having to pit at the very end, give up track position to make it. We've seen Kyle Busch uh, in 2015 run out of gas uh, coming to the last lap and having to limp it all the way back around and you know finish outside the top 10. We've seen uh, finishes, crazy finishes like that where guys come to the finish line running out of gas and uh, leads to surprise winners. Um, yeah, I think think for me, you know, I th- I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney uh, winning this race. Uh, he's won here at Pocono in the past, won his first career race in uh, the Cup Series at Pocono. I think he's probably due for a win finally. Uh, you know, he's uh, been the best non-winner so far on points. And I think... Um, you know, I think this weekend, you know, with the, the way the racing can play out at Pocono, uh, I definitely think it's going to, uh, you know, go in favor of a guy like Ryan Blaney, you know, kind of going against the grain, you know, against Hendrick. But, you know, I think uh, with the way the Fords sometimes have it, you know, have it played out on these big tracks, uh, possibly could see Ford in victory lane. And, you know, to add on, I definitely think, you know, the way the racing plays out here at Pocono, two and a half mile racetrack. Well, California is the only other track that's larger than two miles. That's not a super speedway that we haven't, um, that we've been to so far this year. So it's going to be interesting to see if um, the racing quality is kind of similar to how it was uh, in California. Although, you know, of course, California has the benefit of it being a track that's very, you know, fairly worn out. So it had that in its favor uh, to put the racing quality, whereas Pocono has been uh, repaved since 2012. So you, you have to kind of consider that. But the fact that it's a lengthy track where you know allows for long straights, a big draft, especially with these cars, with the way that they uh, designed it to you know have a lot of drag uh, put into it. So we'll have to see if um you know the uh, all that aerodynamic stuff uh, comes into play. So um, I'm expecting you know, a race that's can be a, a lot of passing, but then also it can get strung out uh, and fuel mileage comes into play at the end. Yeah, for me, in regards to the Cup Series, it's going to be, I think, uh, because of the stages, you've taken away an aspect of what made Pocono so great. Um, You need to have a headset and the radio to go and keep track of all the strategies. But because of the stages, you're going to have people who are going to run to win and like brought up earlier you're gonna have people that are gonna run for those stage points and when you consider how close that battle is to make the playoffs um it may come down to stage points unless there are more than 16 winners so there are going to be teams that are willing to sacrifice the overall race result at least in stage one uh to go and get those stage points versus going and trying to win the race um that plays a role uh somebody who theoretically wouldn't be affected by that and a guy who has done well there the last five years at pocono raceway or at least the last 10 races at pocono raceway better than anybody active uh on the circuit uh, is kyle bush it kind of makes me want to puke but um i think kyle bush it is the M&M's fan appreciation 400 uh, after over 30 years of it's they said 32 years or something of involvement in the sport and they've been involved with Kyle Busch since 2008 and that was the most fruitful period of their time involved in NASCAR of course um, Ernie drove for them when they were this 
Skittles car number 36 for MB2 Motorsports and then M&M's came into the fold in 1999. So I always remember that. Um, the only times I ever rooted for Kyle Busch, I think, in my life were the times he drove the Ernie Irvin throwbacks. And of course, the bastard couldn't win in those cars. But um, I rooted, uh, I was rooting for Ryan Blaney when he won his first race against Kyle Busch in 2015. I still have pictures because of the Google machine and all that on videos of that celebrating. Also seemingly have pictures of when Martin Truex Jr. did get his, what was then his third career Cup Series win for Furniture Row Racing at um, at Pocono in 2015. Um, uh, was it Blaney's? It was 2016. The day after he was interviewing uh, Brad Keselowski in in Victory Lane because it was the driver's only broadcast that day. And um, Brad beat Kyle Larson in the Xfinity race. Uh, just connecting it all back. It, Pocono is just a place that connects to all things in life. It just works out that way. It's part of why I want to go on Sunday because it's just a spiritual place. You know, it's like how Woodstock is for like boomers um because of the weed and drugs and the sex um racing and just life um works for me at Pocono Raceway but before I get into the whole reminiscing thing yeah I, I picked Kyle Busch and the guy that was gonna win the race last year was Kyle Larson um I'm not saying it as a wild card I'm just saying because he's not a wild card he's a defending series champion it's really crazy to say he is a wild card but well, he's never he also really... won the big track race this year at California, the other big track race. Which is, which in turn, uh, that takes away the whole wild card aspect of it. But he's never won at Pocono. And so I can hedge. He hasn't had a great year this year um, in his defense. Um, Clyde is kind of taken back over the role of being the lead dog at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, Byron's won two races and disappeared kind of, you know, kind of fits the bill. Um, Bowman has fit the bill of being completely inconsistent and theoretically finding himself out of the playoff. And then Larson has had his spots, but not been as big of a deal. And um, it'd be a good spot for him. He has a lot of fans up in this area. Uh, you know, uh, Ralph talked about it in this episode about the Pennsylvania posse and the sprint car uh, fans up in this area. Uh, he's won. Kyle Larson's won plenty of races during Pennsylvania Speed Week in his time. So um, it would be a big win. He blew a tire late in the race last year, hit the wall, and led to Alex Bowman getting the victory there. Xfinity Series race at uh, Pocono this weekend will be the Explore the Pocono Mountains 225. Um, you have to go on tobychristie.com to get the entry list. But essentially, uh, the, the qualifying, trying to get into the, um, get into the race, there's uh, 39 cars for 38 spots. Um, Cole Custer is going to make the race. I'm pretty sure he is because um, he's a cup driver. Raja Karuth and Sage Karam are driving for Alpha Prime. Oh, Richard 
is driving for um, the 48 big machine team, Scott Borchetta. That's an interesting call. Uh, but, you know, he has experience there, of course. Uh, Stefan Parsons will be driving for BJ McLeod. Sammy Smith will be driving the 18. Santino Ferrucci for um, Sam Hunt racing. In regards to the points, uh, owner points situation, uh, the 13 car probably has to make it in the show on speed. The 47 definitely has to make it in on speed. Uh, Jesse Uwuji is actually trying to make this race. Uh, so he has to probably show up and try to make it in on speed. Ronnie Bassett as well is another driver that would have to go and make it in on speed in the 77 car. And then after that, the 08 has points. I think it looks like um, I'm a, under the assumption the 08 has points. I thought, or the 07 has points. Uh, the 08 is, uh, I thought that was Joe Graff Jr. The 07 is, so the 08 will be somebody else. But um, let's get into that. I'm going to go and bring up the Toby Christie site because he actually has the um, entry list for the Xfinity Series race. Uh, yeah, so the 07 is Cole Custer. The 08 is David Starr. And the 08, in regards to the points, it has to also make it in on speed. So Jesse Uji actually has a little bit of um, has a little backing there to go and uh, make it in. The thirteen car hasn't uh, run every race either, so that also plays into it. Um, let's get into yeah the one thirteen. Yeah, it's a one thirteen. The semi. Uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is mainly because it's Jesse Uji and he sucks. Um, God bless him. He served our country and, you know, he's kept us safe, but he doesn't know how to drive a hot nail through snow. Um, and there's one car that's going to fail to qualify, and it is a tough racetrack. But getting into this weekend's race, um, Xfinity Series still has a ways to go before they're cut off. Um, do we see... I? A first-time winner here. It's possible. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunity in this race, but it could just as easily work out to be a you know typical uh, straightforward race um, where you think about road course racing. Josh, I'll go to you first, and Joe, and then myself um, before we get into the truck series closeout for their regular season. Um, you have Cole Custer in this race. He has experience, plenty of experience in all three series here. Oh, Richard has run plenty of races here as well, running the big McKine records 48. Uh, Jeremy Clements is driving the Grey Ghost um, paint scheme this weekend, so doing a throwback. So there's um, a few things we have to look at. I mean, Clements needs a win. To get in, I mean, rooting for Raja Karuth, of course, uh, personally. Um, Custer, I think, is a favorite. But to be fair, it it all comes down to Junior Motorsports versus 
uh, Keebler because um, I, I don't really know who else is going to do anything. But you could tell me if there's somebody else who's going to do something. It's it's going to be tough to say. I think you know with uh, the way that Pocono turns out, uh, especially in Xfinity series, it's not as um, I feel like the Xfinity series Pocono races have always been kind of lacking. Uh, compared to the Cup Series, but uh, I mean, expect you know again, Ty Gibbs be out front, Justin Allgaier probably up there as well. Um, then I think beyond that, it's going to be kind of the regulars. Uh, you you might see some of the back markers or mid pack guys come out try something on strategy. Somebody like Anthony Alfredo, who's been known to do strategy stuff. Brandon Brown did strategy last week at New Hampshire to come out with a top three finish. Uh, Landon Castle, you know, another guy that might be in that group. Um, and, you know, his teammate as well, Daniel Hemrick, who's winless after, you know, winning the championship last year. Um, Sam Mayer, you know, could be a guy that comes out and gets a, picks up a win. If uh, fuel mileage works out, um, you know, look out for Austin Hill. I mean, he's kind of been up there as well. Um, you know, this is another big track, and it seems like you know, he's a guy that does well on the bigger tracks uh, compared to some of the other racers here in Xfinity. So there's a lot of guys that could make something happen, but I feel like at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a battle of horsepower between the 7 and, and the, the 18 here in Xfinity. So, you know, we'll have to see. But And, you know, of course, weather could come into play if uh, if anything, But because uh, that's another thing that could happen at Pocono. But we'll have to see. But, you know, I expect them... Uh, expect Justin Algar versus uh, Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity series here at Pocono. Weather looks good. Uh, early returns are Saturday is going to be the better day of the two. So the busy day, the one where you get in for cheap. Uh, I'm doing PR for Pocono Raceway, even though we don't have that many people that listen to us, unfortunately. Um, if you want to go, I think Saturday's the day. Um, you're going to have fun. You're going to be there all day waiting for one race, theoretically, on Sunday. Uh, that's where you probably could have thrown the Yarker race in randomly, had their whole entire weekend go on early in the morning and into the early part of the day. Uh, instead of having a three-day show, they could have a two-day show. Because the Arca series is a clusterfuck and you could go and have bets and you can have all kinds of things about who's going to catch on fire, or who's going to be driving at 100 or driving five seconds off the pace or 10 seconds off the pace. But for whatever reason, they decide that Arca shows up on Friday and races in front of 25 fans. But um, yeah, I, the Saturday ticket looks good with all the stuff that's going to be going on there and um the Allgaier versus Keebler battle makes a lot of sense. Um, Joe, what are you looking at in regards to Saturday? Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm pretty much on the same page as Josh. You know, given the way that the momentum has been uh, kind of in their favor lately, uh, to me, it, it sort of indicates that we, we may get another battle. Now, here's what I will say about this racetrack. Uh, since, you know, I, I talked about it when I was talking about Cup, this is basically the road course of the oval courses. Um, and for that reason, there, it does open up a lot of strategy, like you were saying, to, to new people that we don't see maybe at the front. But I think it also opens up favorable conditions for A.J. Allmendinger. I don't think we've talked about him being up at the front as much as we have last season. But he's, I mean, he's the points leader right now, so he's doing 
something right. He's consistent. Um, so I, I think definitely this weekend we may see a little uh, flash of AJ Allmendinger. Um, but I, I do expect a 7 to 54 to kind of run the show. Um, 16 maybe up there. And Cole Custer, I expect to be up there. Every time Custer's been in that 07 this year, he's been up at the front and been doing well. So it would be unreasonable to think any different this time. Um, and he's clearly got the talent in the Xfinity series to be running that front. So uh, those are sort of the four that I'm looking at. I definitely lean in the direction, same as Josh, where I think if you're going to make a bet, you're going to put it on the 54 or the 7. Uh, but if you maybe want some uh, longer odds, then you go 16 or 07. Uh, but outside of those four, I'm really not expecting a whole lot. You know, these, I think, like Josh said, again, these races have been a little bit drier in uh, Xfinity. It doesn't seem like strategies maybe as big of a factor uh, in these races. They get a little bit more strung out. Um, you know, with Cup, it's exciting because we, we've never had this car at this track before. Um, Xfinity, we, we sort of know what to expect. Yeah, I can go and I would say that generally speaking, I, I would go with that. Um, it's going to be later in the day um, compared to most of the Xfinity races they've had uh, over time at Pocono, which used to be a thing where they didn't have an Xfinity Series race or Bush Series race there until a few years ago. Then they ran it right in the middle of the day. It was a Saturday race. Then they had the doubleheader and it became a Sunday midday race. This race is going to be in on Saturday late afternoon. Maybe that changes things a little bit. Um, they're going to be racing theoretically against darkness, but um, the weather is in their favor. Might change things up a little bit with track conditions. Uh, there aren't that many guys in this field that have uh, ran ARCA uh, at this track during that time of the day. So that could play a role, but we will see. Um, personally, I mean, uh, I'm, I mean, Chase Briscoe's one at Pocono before i mean i got to watch brad win there um so it's a soft spot for me i love pocono raceway it's the closest track i have essentially um i think i i honestly think this is uh i mean you say seven i think 754 the guarantees those are the best bets i feel like this weekend is going to open up to a different winner. Um, I think the person that I would say would go and win, I, I think Colleague comes through. They've been off this year, and I think a lot of it is because they're committed to Cup. You're trying to go and put all your investment and in, or you're putting a lot of investment into a new uh, car, a new technology, and you're having to commit to two cars. And that is taken away from their Xfinity program. Now, to be fair, AJ Allmendinger's won races and he's the points leader for now. Um, he's also benefited from the fact that uh, the likes of Justin Allgaier's had rough spots this year and Ty Gibbs as well. Um, but there really are six drivers that are uh, people that could possibly go and win a championship at the moment. Um, and those are six drivers that have won races and all of them have won at least two races and three of them are 
are uh, junior motorsports guys. One of them is a uh, Gibbs driver, and then you have Austin Hill right there on the outside on the periphery. Uh, but AJ Allmendinger knows about points racing. He knows about trying to compete. I'm going to pick him to win, and my wild card is going to be Sheldon Creed. Sheldon Creed has shown speed at this racetrack in a truck before, in an ARCA car before. Um, he showed speed last week at New Hampshire. Uh, the corner might have been turned at Road America uh, in regards to him trying to go and make something happen with this season to backdoor his way into the playoff. Um, Sheldon Creed has had a rough year. Um, RCR right now is in a bad spot. Uh, it might not be such a bad idea to say, hey, um, let's put a couple of bucks or a little bit extra effort to get Sheldon over the hump. Um, it's proven to be a good bet wherever else he's been. Um, Robbie Gordon believes in him uh, because he's basically Robbie Gordon 2.0. Um, he proved in Narca uh, with time, and then he also proved in a truck for GMS. And um, in this Xfinity Championship, the way things are points-wise, uh, this championship wouldn't hurt to have a guy like uh, uh, like uh, Sheldon Creed in it. He's only uh, 14th in points, but he is 63 points out of the cutoff at the moment, uh, but he's run every race, so he would be eligible if he does win a race to get in. Um, right now, there's in terms of regulars, there's seven drivers who have are regulars that have won a race this year. Um, after that, you have uh, what is it? Two other drivers, two other drivers that have won. So there's only been nine drivers this year that have won in 18 races, and seven of them are regulars. So um, that's not too crazy. Uh, the opportunity is there here uh, as we get towards the end of the regular season to get yourself in with a win. I mean, Sam Mayer is probably the most likely scenario in that, but I'm going to go and pick Sheldon Creed. Uh, the Truck Series has their regular season finale. The CRC Break Clean 150 Saturday afternoon at... Uh, Pocono Raceway. Um, I think it is Todd Bodine's last race of his career. Um, I'm not entirely certain of that, but uh, I'm just going to say it is because he's running this five. He was trying to get to 500 races, uh, 500 starts in NASCAR um, for whatever, you know, just to go and have have that uh, um, record, and uh, he got, um, what's his name, Marcus Lemonis to sponsor him. He has, what, 241 in the Cup Series. He has 333 in the Xfinity Series and 225. So anyone want to go and add that up real quick while I go and do my bit? Um Okay, good. That's good. So we'll do the rest of it tomorrow. I think... This race uh, on Saturday is his 500 start. If not, it's 499. It sounds like we're close to that. Um, or 750 or something. Yeah, five. it's 558. 
plus uh, 241. Oh, so it's 800 starts. Yeah. So it'd be his 800th NASCAR start. It'll be his 800th NASCAR start amongst the top three series. Um, he already, I mean, to be honest, he, he started in ARC, whatever there's, whatever, one, what is this? It says he started an Arkham Menard series race at, uh, at Nashville in 2004, K&N East at uh, Loudon. So he already made his he made his 800 starts to be honest. And then, you know, modified tour he actually made a couple of modified starts as well. So but he'll be making his 800 start and uh he'll go back to doing his TV gig. Um in other news, there's 38 for 30 six i believe uh in the field um i uh, have to go and confirm that um 38 for 36 two will miss the race norm benning is uh trying to show up and make the show uh the pennsylvania driver uncle norm uh, he's going to try to make it in on speed so we have to bring up the owner points as well in that Caden Honeycutt will be in the 30 truck taking over for um, what's it called? Tate Fogelman, who will be driving a second Rackley war truck. Brian Doza will be uh, showing up with FDNY racing, uh, trying to make a race there. Rayum Brothers racing will have Armani Williams in the 43 truck uh, trying to make the show. So those are some of the other drivers that are non-regulars that'll be trying to make it in max gutierrez driving in the 22 truck priest will be in the 17 and um austin hill will be in the seven so my uh pick for this weekend would be ryan priest uh right now he's driving looking for a ride uh it's a track he has experience in in a cup car uh, DGR has proven to bring good vehicles, especially with the 17 and to, you know, an extension of 38. Zane Smith, when he starts the race on Saturday, will be the regular season champion and gain 15 playoff points, which will be really crucial to a more than likely um, regular uh, championship run and or possible cup series ride going into next year if worst case he'll probably be in an xfinity car next year because ford can't lose him they've lost so many drivers they can't lose him they were lucky they got him uh i i'm gonna pick ryan priest i think having um the austin hill in that spire truck he'll be uh tough out as well because he's going to be competing for the win um if it was a regular i would go and say john hunter nemechek because he wants to get another win he only has one win this year he's won there before um would help him in regards to playoff points i know those stage points and playoff points are gonna kind of play a little bit of a role in um in the proceedings also, you have to watch out for the guys that are outside of the top 10. Matt Crafton is on the bump, the three-time series champion. 
Uh, he has a 19-point lead on Derek Krause. Um, and after that, it's really essentially you need to win. Um, you have uh, guys that are, what is it, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, n- 10 drivers that have driven every race this year. All of them would have to win to pass Matt Crafton and get into the uh, get into the playoff. Grain and Finger essentially needs to score stage points in the first stage, I think, and um, he would be in on points. So it's really Matt Crafton has to do what Matt Crafton has done for 20-something years, um, just have a top 10 run, and he'll likely make this playoff. Whether he does anything in this playoff is to be determined since he lost his crew chief. Um, uh, Jeff Hensley left to go to Grant Enfinger's team uh, and go back to GMS. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts in regards to the Truck Series regular season finale um, before we throw to Josh? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and and say that my pick to win this race is going to be Zane Smith. He has tore apart the regular season. I mean, the fact that he's going to go in and simply by taking the green flag, be the regular season champion. That is a testament to how good that 38 car truck and that team has been this season. I mean, I think we knew the potential was there with Todd Gilliland, uh, but Zane Smith has brought this team to a whole other level. Um, as far as playoffs go, um, I'm glad you mentioned that Matt Crafton was in. I'm looking at the points right now, and I'm seeing, like, why are Parker Quigerman and Corey Hyman? It's uh seems to just be a, a glitch on the site uh, because they're, they're not in. They haven't attempted to start every race. Um, so, yeah, right now, Grant and Matt Crafton now. I, I will say I, I think Cor- and Finger, unless something goes really terribly wrong, he should be okay, right? He shouldn't be really in, in most any sort of danger because he, he's got 426 points. You got to go back. Uh, almost 30 points to get back to Matt Crafton. So unless Crafton has a fantastic day, Enfinger probably has to wreck out first or second stage, and uh, that would also require somebody else most likely to win. I mean, he set himself up uh, pretty good. Crafton's a little bit of a different scenario. He can have a bad day and still drop out on points. I'm going to be honest, though. I haven't, you know, we've seen a few okay runs out of Kraus, but, you know, he doesn't shine to me as someone who is going to go up there and, and get after it. Um, I, I find himself, or I find that he gets himself into uh, a bit of trouble sometimes. Um, and I think that if anything, maybe his downfall, I think Crafton's probably going to get in um, all reliable. Uh, and I really, honestly, I'm not sure that I see anyone uh, who would be playoff uh, eligible winning their way into the playoffs. I think Priest is, is a great pick, but not playoff eligible. Um, and quite honestly, I'm not sure with where some of these drivers are at. Uh, I don't really see Ankrum winning. Matty D, I know he's got cup experience there, but cup experience hasn't seemed to help him anywhere else. Uh, Tanner Gray, I, I mean, just Colby Howard, Timmy, I just, I can't see it. I really can't. So uh, I'm going with Kraft and Endfinger do make the playoffs. Zane Smith gets his fourth win of the year. Uh, I mean, he's playing with house money, right? There's no harm with him. He knows he's going to be the regular season champion. So go and get after it. 
Yeah, it's a very safe pick there for Zane Smith, of course. You know, Zane Smith, the uh, most dominant driver so far this year in the uh, truck series. Um, I think the other safe pick is John Hunter Nemechek. Won this race last year, um, and this year has uh, not been as great, but you know, still fairly good compared to the rest of the field. Uh, still hanging on to second place in the truck series standings. Of course, it seems like the theme this year for Hunter Nemechek is to start start fast. He's got four poles, average turn of six seven, uh, average turn is the twelfth. So it tells me that he tends to fade at the end of these races. And of course, there's probably some outliers there weighing down that average. But uh, regardless of that fact, uh, uh, it should it should be an interesting race. Uh, this um, truck series race might be the one that has the most cautions um, per per uh, I guess per lap compared to the uh, other two series and cup and xfinity um likely you know due to the lack of experience in the field uh which is be expected it is the truck series um and a lot of you know these inexperience does lead to a lot of the uh incidences and cautions at uh in this at this level so um expect a lot of that especially a big track like pocono things uh can happen uh cause a lot of cautions so we'll see what happens there um i think you know a name that you have to look out for those uh, Co- uh carson hosevar he's been on the uh, on it you know throughout the season off and on of course he's been injured as well so there there is that to factor in but he's been close so many times can he uh if he has a good enough car can he close here at pocono finally pick up his first career win uh in the craftsman trucks or uh camping work truck series so we'll have to see uh how that plays out uh throughout the weekend if they have uh, the pace to do it and of course wild cards um i mean look out for uh I had the entry list here, but, you know, look out for, uh, guys like, um, I think Matt did a Benedetto could be a wild card, but you know, I don't think it would be much of a wild card. Chuck series hasn't been that well, uh, for him compared to cup. Um, maybe, maybe we see, you know, Derek Krause makes something out of it here at Pocono. It could happen, win his way to get into the uh, Craftsman, or you know, he made this mistake again, but in, into the uh, Camping World Truck Series. So we'll Just we'll see what happens. Lamonis. Yeah, Marcus Lamonis. Yeah, you know, making putting money into the series out somewhere. Not really sure where the money's coming from because it seems like Camping World just has money that comes out of nowhere. But um, you know that's how that works out in the truck series. But yeah, I mean, this, this could be the most interesting race out of the three at the end of the day, depending on how the cautions play out uh, here on Saturday. We'll see what happens. That's the opener uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, Unfortunately, I'll be working during that. And then uh, I'll probably be hearing it as I go back home. I'll be in the relative vicinity of it. I'll be uh, essentially an hour away from uh, the racetrack, but uh, I'll have to go back home. But um, either way, it'll be uh, interesting to listen to on Saturday afternoon. Uh, let's uh, finish this episode since we've been going on for a while, and I think we all have to go to sleep and go to work tomorrow. Um, I, we're going to, Josh and I will go and give our um plugs later i know you're busy joe so um you can go and give your plugs where can we find your work and where can we find you on socials um yeah yeah so uh you can find me on twitter that's pretty much where uh, i've been living as far as all my nascar goes i keep referencing my points and my charts and all this because uh, i am a freak about points for some reason uh so that's at Pacero junior at p-a-s-s-e-r-o-j-r 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter there. Um, been having a lot of fun interactions on Twitter. I, I know usually I come on and say, you know, respond to me. I'll, I'll, I'll let's talk, you know, but past few weeks I've had a few really fun interactions. So that's been really cool. Um, if anybody's going to Pocono this weekend, I will definitely be there on Sunday. Um, I was a little concerned at first with some of the things I had going on, but Sunday I'll definitely be there. If I can be super diligent and work very hard this week, I might on Saturday morning have an impulse purchase and be going on Saturday. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, if anybody sees me on Sunday, come up, say hi, let's talk racing. And, uh, you know, that, that'll be a good time being at back at the racetrack, being at back at Pocono, my first time since 2017 at that track. Um, you can also, while I'm there at Pocono on, uh, on Sunday, and this is really the first formal announcement I guess I'm making of this. Uh, one of the shows I was previously on, I mentioned I'm working on some side projects. One of those is a vlog. Um, now, this vlog that I'm making, it's going to be called Average Joe's Adventure Show. I have not started the channel yet. I'm going to do that later this week. But uh, it is not just racing related either. There will be racing content, but it is more... I guess, uh, dedicated to my travels and, and other things that I like to do uh, outside of racing. Racing, though, uh, being such a big part of me, will be a part of it. And uh, I will film a vlog that will appear on that channel uh, at Pocono. So I'm very excited. It's going to be one of my first vlogs. I actually filmed uh, a few recently, uh, but this will be one of the, the first real big ones that I've done, I feel. So I'm very excited about that. Again, that's Average Joe's Adventure Show. I know it's a long title, but uh, pretty much everything else with my name in it was taken, which is really upsetting. Um, I guess darn Joe's such a common name, but find me there. Uh, guys, thank you again so much for having me on. It's always a blast to come on here. And uh, hopefully I get to talk with you more a little bit later in the season, maybe as we get into the playoffs. And uh, hopefully, hopefully this week goes by and I get everything done, man. I'd love to go to Pocono on Saturday if I can. I'm hoping to go to Pocono myself. Uh, hopefully my health supports that and my work. Uh, it's been a rough time. I think it would be good for my health, minus the um, adult beverages I'm probably going to consume if I go there on Sunday. So thanks as always, Joe. Go and follow Joe on uh, the socials there and read his work see his work and um thank you as always for coming on we're gonna be back for part two 124 and a half uh here um uh tomorrow or whatever however it'll work when you listen to it um we're gonna be back for it again to go and cover everything else recover indycar big weekend and in indycar racing um, Formula One will be coming up this weekend as well. IndyCar is a double header on an oval in the middle of the day. So people are going to be dying out in the heat, um, just like I would be dying out in the heat at Pocono on Sunday. Uh, there's plenty of racing we have to go over. So tune in for 124 and a half as well. Um, thanks to you, Josh. Thanks to you, Joe. Uh, thanks to all you, all the listeners. Like, subscribe. Let people know about this. Uh, we have fun doing this. We get great people uh, through whatever it is, just because of passion, whatever, and hero worship like I have for, for Ralph Shaheen. Um, and I was able to point out some interesting stuff, which might end up being greater content later on. Um, so thank you for listening to Gripster Podcast. Um, take care. And goodbye.